You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here are your hosts, Ryan Hickey and Mark Kelly. Good Thursday morning and welcome into the morning boys. Ryan, Nikki, and Mark Everett Kelly with you. Mark Everett Kelly back in the saddle after missing on Monday. He's feeling better and joining us. So the morning boys are back. The duo is back. The team is back. The boys are back. The boys are back as we are looking forward to a very good Thursday show. A lot to get to. February is always kind of a tough month, Mark, sports-wise, because it is probably the worst month of the calendar. I think everyone who works in sports media and any sports fan in general would, would probably agree if we can just get rid of February Go to a month <laughs> calendar and go right from the Super Bowl to spring training. I think a lot of people will be excited by that. But instead, no, we have, you know, just a few months. We have the trade deadline today in the NBA, which is exciting. Outside of that, NBA, NBA is pretty, you know, there's a lot of doldrums going on. A lot of midseason hockey, midseason basketball that, depending if you're a fan or not, a lot of people nationally or just general sports fans aren't too enthused about. Baseball, you know, you count down to spring training, and it's more like, all right, once you get there, then it's just kind of like, oh, wait, we have six weeks of just stretching and, and games that don't matter. So it's more just you look forward to pitchers and catchers, you count down, and then once it gets here, it's like, oh, all right, there's really nothing to look forward to. So we'll try our best to, uh, to get through a uh, slow February, which gives you still an entertaining, fun, informative show, as always. Uh, that's definitely where we make our money if we were getting paid for sure mm-hmm. in, in the month of February. Yeah. We, we do think we have a good show for earn, you. Earn your paychecks this month. Right? Earn our paychecks. We are definitely doing that for sure, considering that the really we don't have to – we're not earning anything. So technically, you know, we can just sit here for three hours and we'd be earning our paychecks. Um, but we do – we'll try to give you the best show possible. We still, I mean, for February. Uh, again, it's only February 6th, so it's still early. But there's this good amount going on, especially after – between Monday's show, which I feel like always happens, Mark. For whatever reason, our show, whether it's Tuesday, Friday, or it's Monday, Thursday, a ton of news breaks after our show, and it's always <laughs> yeah. like the biggest gap in between we have is when all this stuff goes down. Yeah. Obviously, the Monday of the Super Bowl show, what happens in between that? You have the Mookie Betts trade. You have Steve Cohen with the Mets possibly backing out. You have the Knicks firing Steve Mills. You have the NBA trade, line go- trade deadline going on today. It's just I feel like everything happens within like after our show ends. How, how come we can't get any breaking news like last night or this morning? It's always, you know. The, the only day that really something happened was when the Cowboys fired or, or, or hired Mike, Mike McCarthy. That happened when we were on the air. You weren't here. You weren't here. You weren't here. It didn't involve you. Oh, but yeah. geez, Tyler, Tyler was over there, and he was like, oh, you know, in the Tyler voice, oh, you know, the Cowboys just hired McCarthy, you know, and <laughs> – so maybe and, uh, it's me. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm the jinx maybe, maybe it is you. I got to take no, some it, more sick days, I guess. It's got to be me, too, because the same thing happened. Like, when I, was, when I wasn't here, look, I, I got to give it to you. Joe Theismann is a guest the other day. It was very good. I mean, you could see, you could see the, the, the future of, of this kid just, just growing in leaps and bounds with it. Seriously, being able to do a show yourself is very hard. It really is, because – Number one, you think, I know when I used to do my podcast, I would be sitting there thinking that there were all these people listening to me. Meanwhile, it was probably like two. And, like, you get nervous. And then you're, you, you, you're thinking about what you want to say. And, you, you, you know, even if you really know a lot, it's just it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself to really be disciplined enough to, be, to have your thoughts concise and to, to make solid points one right after the other. And it's not like you can, you know, unless you have dual personalities – 
<laughs> and you can talk to yourself, you know? Maybe yeah, I should try that. Next time you're not feeling great, I'll just uh, so I'll, Ryan. Pre- I'll pretend you're here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can just put a little puppet right here. I'll have yeah. both mics on. I'll run from one to the other. So, Ryan, uh, the soup, the cheese played really good. What do you think? Oh, yeah, Patrick, I got I to gotta do a different voice. That's the only thing. That's where you do, you do the voices, like, different okay. voices great. I got to work on that because it's going to sound weird just talking in the same voice one to another, like I'm two different people. I got to work on, like, an alternate alter ego sort of thing. I, I was doing my uh, my Stewie from uh, Family Guy? Yeah, Family Guy. Oh, Brian. <laughs> That's pretty good. Mark, I'm telling you, the impressions you do and the impersonations are pretty solid. There's really having one between Bernie, between Stewie. There's another one I'm forgetting, but it's the godfather for the million different characters you, you've done there. So, Peter. Yeah, I know. There's, there's a bunch of them that I can do. Um, but I, I was, I, the first time I watched Family Guy, I could not stop laughing. But th- there, there was also one thing in Family Guy where Stewie is trying to get his mother's attention. Mm-hmm. Hey, ma, mommy, ma, mommy, ma, mama, mom, mommy, mommy. <laughs> that gotcha, that cracked you this up. This is so funny. That one, and then when they're doing the uh, psh, over, Brian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? You didn't say over. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Uh, uh, family Guy is funny. I it's like really funny. Guy. It yeah. is. It is. Um, we do have some great stuff for you. If you want to give us a call, 845-478-3272, 845-478-3272. Um, interesting discussion that we want to have a little bit later on because, again, now you, theoretically football is done, right? The Super Bowl is over. We had a big Super Bowl recap on Monday. Talk a little bit. We're going to have NFL in review, um, kind of like give our awards for the year. Um, coming up a little bit to kind of just really put a, a cap and a close the book on the 2019 NFL season. But the XFL is starting. On this weekend, so NFL, well, excuse me, the football is technically still going on. Uh, Mark was around for the first XFL, which yeah. had a lot of success, um, and also the USFL. So you've been, and you've actually seen what successful football leagues outside the NFL look like. I've only seen the AAF last year. Obviously, that folded within a yeah. few weeks and ran out of money. Yeah. So I'm interested to see because you provide that perspective of what an, a league has to do to be successful yeah. and actually draw fans in. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to get kind of you know well, your your uh, your as well. Your thoughts if you're excited for the XFL, which, again, starts this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I believe there's eight teams, so two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. So, yeah, you're, whether you're excited to care at all about the XFL, um, kind of discuss that as well. But we will start because, the, again, the biggest thing, at least the biggest news story of the day came later on after the show on Monday, which was that the Dodgers and Red Sox are working on a trade. We're sending Mookie Betts and David Price from Boston over to Los Angeles in exchange for Alex Verdugo, who is – you know, uh, not a prospect at this point because he was up on the major league roster for most of the year last year, as well as a prospect pitcher from the Twins. And to me, Mark, the way I kind of want to phrase this question and throw to you and kind of get the discussion going is that is this bad for baseball? And this is this is my reasoning for it. You have the Red Sox, which is the third highest valued franchise in baseball. So they are not hurting for money. They are not, you know, operating in a small market. They just won the World Series two years ago. So this is a big city big-time organization that every year has championship goals and aspirations, always competing with the Yankees and always trying to one-up their rival, right? So this is a team that is not the Cleveland Indians, the Oakland A's, small market teams that really have to work on a budget. And when it comes to guys like Francisco Lindor, for example, for the Indians, they know they can't pay. And it's just unfortunate you have to deal with the reality of that they can't afford to pay a superstar excess of $300 million. But to me, at least, what is holding the Red Sox back? I understand they have cap restrictions. And, and basically, the biggest thing for them, there's is that they don't want to pay the luxury tax. But for me, at least, you look at a guy like Mookie Betts, this is the exact player that you want to keep on your roster and build around. Not salary dumps. That's essentially what they did. They salary dumped a superstar player with one year remaining on his contract because they don't want to pay him whatever he's going to make, $350, $375, $400 million. 
and goes free agency next year. So they can get him and David Price off their books, get under that, under that luxury tax threshold and basically reset their tax going forward. But I, to me, at least the mindset is all wrong. And when you have a big market team operating like a small market, that's when I get nervous for the future of baseball where it's just like, how much you know is penny pitching? How much is money going to now be the overriding factor over winning championships and trying to give a reason for fans to go to the games? Think about it. If you're a Red Sox fan right now, what do you have? What reason do you have to go to a game? For the most part, they weren't good last year. They probably weren't going to be good this year. And now, really, when you trade away one of the few stars you have on your team to just basically, again, save money, there's no reason to go. Mookie Betts was that shining light for the Red Sox. He's a guy at 27 years old who already in his five years – Five full seasons as a major ball player. Won an MVP in 2018. Four times was an all-star. Four gold gloves. And finished top eight in MVP, bo- MVP voting four times. So he's a guy you pay. He's a guy you absolutely give all your money to. Ten years, $350 million. Ten years, $375, $400 million. He's a guy you mortgage your future on because he's a superstar player and talent that should stay with one team. You've, you've raised him through your farm system. He's a homegrown talent. That should be the player you reward. And instead, the Red Sox, because they don't want to spend the money, they don't want to get in the tax, end up trading him along with David Price so they can get under the luxury tax. Right. It's a bad, bad for all baseball. Right, all, right, all right, but hold on. Remember, the Red Sox have done this before. All right, 2012, remember? They That's different. Uh, Carl Crawford, like, they, they, they dished away old players. Carl Crawford, Adrian Gonzalez. Adrian Gonzalez was not old. He was 29 years old when they traded him. That's different. I mean, I he, was, he, was, he was very good with that. Is Adrian Gonzalez a superstar, top he, five, he had player? He had MVP-type seasons with the Red Sox. He was one of their best players when he was on their team. He's yeah. no Mookie Betts. Josh Beckett was oh, – no, but again, the reason why they traded Mookie Betts, I believe, is because they have Devers. They have, like, a bunch of young players. Still the Red Sox. Yeah, but is Rafael Devers a player that you can put as a cornerstone third baseman, give him all that money, and be your franchise, build a franchise with him for they 10 don't have years? To worry, no. but they don't have to worry about doing that for a couple of years. I think that's what they wanted. They're, they're so fun, far over the cap. Look, the Red Sox have history on their side, at least, because in, in 2012, they, they decimated their team. You know, they got rid of him. They got rid of Beckett. They got rid of Carl Crawford. And again, they used the Dodgers. Kind of like, here you go. Just dump salary. They take them. And 2012, they were awful. 2013, they won the World Series. So, you know, they have young talent in their system. And they, uh, I don't see they didn't get the value what they should have gotten back from Mookie Betts. I mean, I'm annoyed that he went to the Dodgers because the strong gets stronger. I mean, the Dodgers already have a great farm system. They have won the division, what, seven, eight straight years? They, seven straight. Yeah, it's just a, I don't like the fact that they chose the Dodgers to trade them to. If you're going to trade them, trade them to – uh, a franchise that needs a impact player. Dodgers don't need. Dodgers don't need Mookie Betts. Why not? I, Dodgers ready. Are, are I good. give the Dodgers a lot of credit for doing it. Well, the Dodgers can do it because they have the money to do it. It's not even the money aspect. I mean, they're not. Pay- it's twenty million dollars. It's more the fact that he is one year. And you're. It's more gambling for the like going all in on one year, saying we need this player to put us over the top. Yeah. I respect the Dodgers. They're going all no, in I, and trying to win. I, 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 but they can teams, do it. They can do it. But there's not a lot of teams that are in the position that the Dodgers are in. Well, if you're like the Mets, why, why, why don't you make that move? Why, the, why the Mets? I, why, I, why don't you make a move for Mookie Betts? You're desperate for a center field, but they absolutely have no center field. The Mets aren't going to – but the Mets don't operate like that. Exactly, because the Mets <laughs> are the Mets. Right, because not every team is in it to win it. They're all about mo- money. I, I agree. That I agree with. Which yeah. is my biggest problem with the Red Sox is because, again, you have like 
to your point, you, you, you they have Andrew Benintendi, they have Rafael Devers, they have young guys. Mm-hmm. But to me, this is I would cut bait with those guys if it means keep like Mookie Betts is a yep. top five player in baseball. He is a Mike but Trout, he's a Cody Bellinger esque guy where you you build a cornerstone, you make him the f- the focus of the team going forward. I understand what your point. We're shedding salary, right. and they're at a point where they look at it where they're not going to beat the Yankees, they're not going to beat the Astros, and they figure I'm not going to pay all this money have a team finish in second or third place, miss the playoffs, or if you get to the playoffs, exit early. Right. But my point is just like when you have a superstar player like this, find other th- – cut bait with J.D. Martinez. Cut bait with David – like yeah, find other areas to finish – like to get rid of players on your team and go under. To me, at least, Mookie Betts was not the guy you do that with. And there's no reason for a team – again, that is the third highest valued franchise in baseball. Right. To not even – Basically, because what they did in trading Mookie Betts was they were like, we're not going to resign him if, when he reaches free agency. We right. can't afford him. Right. What do you mean you can't afford him? Right. You have the third highest well, valued franchise. You have the money to do it. What do you mean you can't afford I, him? I, 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 whether, whether or not they have the money, I think, is something that they have to decide, whether or not they want to have that high of a salary cap. But you look, look at it this way, okay? They got Bogarts, who's a shortstop. He's 26, same age as, as, as Mookie Betts. Bogarts offensively puts up numbers like Mookie Betts does. Last year, Mookie Betts was like third best on the team. That's why, because Devers had, had such a, a good last year. He had a down year last year, and he still was a superstar. No, I, I know, but th- I player. think that's why they did it, because they have guys who can put up Betts-type no- numbers. They have other guys in their lineup that they're counting on to do that. How it's many like top just eight MVP finishes has Xander Bogarts had? I'm gonna, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look. Zero. I'd have to look. Mookie Betts but he's a shortstop. But he's a shortstop. So shortstops are more valuable than, you know, if you put up those types of numbers as a shortstop. Last year, 309, 33 homers, 117 RBIs, okay? That's pretty good for a shortstop. Where Mookie Betts last year had a down year, 295, 29, 80. You just, you just made my a point. Down year. In a down year, he had 295, but 29 runs, 85 RBIs. But that's why he's an outfielder. He's an outfielder. They figure they can get other outfielders that are going to put up those type, not – Consistently, but get a cheap uh, a guy who's younger. They probably have uh, their their minor league system isn't stocked like it used to be, because they they got rid of a lot of those guys in trades to get to get the talent that they have. I don't understand why they did it now. If they really felt like they can't re-sign him or don't want to re-sign him, why not hold on to him at least to the to the trade deadline and well, try to hurt. yeah. It's, I mean that's that's the risk. He he hasn't been hurt his entire career, but all of a sudden you know one oblique pull. He's out for six weeks, and the, the value diminishes. Not to mention, too, the value diminishes just because you have him for less, right? Yeah. Like, for the Dodgers, have him for a full season now. And, again, I don't think the Red Sox are anywhere close to the value they should have got back with Alex Verdugo and, and a prospect pitcher from the Twins. But the longer you hold on to him, right, if they went to the trade deadline July 31st, you have then Mookie Betts for two months and a playoff run. Mm-hmm. Now you have him for a full season and a playoff run. Yeah. So you're not going to automatically get whatever you want back at the trade deadline, they would now. That's why timing-wise. But did they get sense. much back for him? No, but they're going to get less than. Anyway, they if c- you have him for less, his price goes down. But if, but that that's my point. If they were to, tr- if they're going to trade him now, they should have traded him for more value because what what they got for him now is they could have got for him at the All Star break. Well, the, I don't know about. And that. at least at least that you know I, I don't understand why they needed to trade him. I, I, I like like you said I think they have the money. To sp- it, there's. There's something else that they, they're, they're identifying where he's not the type of guy that they really want to leave their organization. Now, they have a lot of young guys, again, that are in their early 20s that they're going to have to pay at one point. But Devers is 22. Bogarts is 26. Uh, you know, then, you know, Benatti's 24. Those are the guys probably that they identified as, well, here's three guys right here that are younger than Betts that put up very good numbers. Devers last year, 32 homers, 115 RBIs. 
Bogart's 33 homers, 117 RBIs. Second base and third base. Uh, shortstop and, sec- and, and third, third base. base. So that, that's pretty good for infielders. But, again, I understand. Younger guys that are younger. I understand. Yeah, I understand. Their numbers were better last year, sure. But to my point, you, Mookie Betts had the worst year of his career here, 295, 20 home runs, 85 RBIs. And on a down year, he is a top five wow. player in baseball. And yeah, to your is. point, they are. this is my biggest issue. The Red Sox are prioritizing saving money over keeping homegrown uh, talent, over keeping superstars on their team. But I don't know if it's really saving money because they still got a huge pay. They still got, still got to pay Martinez. But they, it, and but no, Martinez isn't old. He's only 30. Their motivation was in trading. They, they put Mookie Betts. Their, their main motivation was trading David Price. In order to do mm. that, they had to package Mookie Betts. That's and true. I'm, I'm possi- they didn't want him anymore. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. David Price is waiver paid, and it's their fault. They gave him this huge contract. He didn't come yeah. close to living up to it. Yeah. But it's just, just like, like Beckett was part of that deal back in 2012. Right. Like yeah. he, and that's fine. And but Carl that, Crawford But they basically guy, yeah. they had to put Mookie Betts on that David Price contract because no one else is going to take David Price for any sort of value without the Red Sox paying a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And it would. And if they had to pay a ton of money, they still wouldn't be able to get under the luxury tax threshold, which yeah. they want to do desperately. And they yeah. they punted on Mookie Betts because they said to themselves, "We can't pay this guy when yeah. he gets a free agency, which you wanted, he, which you wanted to do, which is mm. fine." Apparently, he turned down a three hundred million dollar deal from the Red Sox. You can't blame him because right. he knows he's going to get more, and he deserves more in free agency. But how come the Red Sox can't be in on him? How come they can't pay him what he wants? I, that's what I don't get. I don't. I I'm, find I'm, I'm figuring there's something else going on. I'm figuring he, either he doesn't want to stay in Boston or something happened where he told them, look, don't even bother because I don't like it here or this isn't where I, I imagine being the rest of my career. I don't know. But why else would you give up on a guy who's 26 who, you know, in that lineup, if the, if the Red Sox had him and they decided to hold on to him this year and decided they really weren't going to get enough for him to trade him and – you know, worst comes to worst, they, they could they could sign him to like like uh, a cesspitus type deal in the off season, where they pay him a lot of money, but he bec- can become a free agent after two years or something like that. You know, because I'm sure they have the money to do it. There's got to be something else going on where they decided we have enough young players that we got to worry about, enough young players to take this franchise. Plus, it's not like the Red Sox got to prove anything to anybody. They've won two world, world championships in the last ten years. You know, so it's like they've won, they've they've had a winning formula. So it's kind of hard to second-guess them when they've won a couple World Series already. You know, I, I would trust the fact that they got a lot of young talent. This is a guy they, they for some reason, they earmarked as. You, you don't know the conversations that went on. You don't know why they decided to trade him now. It's got to be something other than what it, it is obvious. I don't think the Red Sox are a team that's throwing it in and saying, we don't want to win. We're, you know, maybe for this year they want to get under the salary cap because they had such a fall back last year and when you have that high of a salary cap or and and you don't win you kind of say wait you know what guys can we get rid of just to kind of maintain some kind of regularity here because it was it was getting out of control but I, I, I look looking at their roster they got a, I still got a lot of young talent they still have one in the past they've made these type of decisions before and it's worked out for them so I, I wouldn't second guess them like I would second guess a team that hasn't won for 40 years you know, and they're just deciding to shed payroll. I, I, but they are I, shedding. That's all they're doing. But I think it's motivation. more than that. I think they decided to – I think the risk of getting rid of Price, they, they wanted to get rid of him. That was their top priority. We need to shed this contract because he had still, what, three years left on right, his contract? Which is fu- like, I have no yeah. problem with that. Because so they, they, they viewed that. That was worth it. Yes. That was worth it. And, and you don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll be in on bets in the offseason. You don't know. Right. If they do, maybe then I'm the fool. But they have Kyle Bloom, the GM from the Rays, who's used to working with small budgets, used to working – basically with no money and making a winning product on the field. To me, I, again, but 
my biggest issue and holdup and frustration with Red Sox is everything you just said before. You don't know, like, there's no real tangible reason out there that we see that is re- like you can back up the Red Sox and say, yeah, sure, you shouldn't go after bets, right? Everything from on the field. There's a five two player. He's great in the field. He's a great hitter. He's fast. He scores runs. He does everything you po- like. There's no yeah, holes I, in his I, game. I love the guy. He's a great, right. great player. There's I would no love holes to have in him his game. He's a from all accounts, he's a great guy off the field. He doesn't get in trouble. Great in the community. So it's like there's yeah. like he is to me the prototypical perfect franchise model player that you want. Everything he does, he does right. Right. So my biggest thing is why wouldn't you want him on your team? And like why wouldn't you want to pay him? And I would prioritize paying him over young guys, over Rafael Devers, over Xander Bogarts, but, but over that's Andrew why, Benintendi. Yeah, I, I, don't I think that's why it. they did it, though. I, I think they did it. They felt like they can still probably be on, in on him. They felt like they really needed to get rid of Price's contract. There was no other way to do it. I think that was kind of their first priority. We've got to get rid of this contract. It's killing us. He's not giving us any type of production. Still got three more years. It's like if, if the, somebody came to the Mets and they said, we'll take Robinson Cano's contract which has still got like four more years left at a ridiculous salary for a guy who's going to be 38. Like, wouldn't you do it? If it like, if he had to give up, uh, you know. Pete Alonso. No, absolutely not. But, but that the Mets, the, the Mets, if they had like three other Alonzos in their lineup, which the Red Sox do, maybe. They, Mark, they do. They don't. But look they at don't, their. Mark, they don't. How can you say they don't when, when Bogarts and Devers put up those types of numbers and they're in their mid early 20s? Devers is 22. The, the, the big thing with Mookie Betts is he scored 135 runs, which is ridiculous. Like, that, that is very impressive. If these guys were at the level of Mookie Betts, the Red Sox wouldn't have finished 19 games. Yeah, but their days. pitching last year was god awful. So that, that's really why they, they, they didn't do anything. And their starters totally let them down, where the year before they were, they were a lot better. But, look, yeah, I, the only thing I, I could, that makes sense to me is they still have enough hitting in their lineup. They still got enough money. They could still be in the sweepstakes to get Mookie Betts in the offseason if they want to, but they viewed that just like in 2012. They decided we have way too much salary. We got way out of hand. There's no way we can afford Carl Crawford and Josh Beckett. And, and okay, we'll let those guys go, and we'll let a young Adrian Gonzalez go, who was 29 years old in the prime of his career in Boston, where he put up insane numbers. I think he had 357 one year, won a batting title. That, that's the price of us giving away these guys. I think they made the same kind of choice. And they've won. You know, they, they won the World Series in 2013. So it's kind of worked out for them before. I think for them it was wor- worth the risk. Now, now, here's my problem, though. If you're some of these other teams, okay, if you're Cleveland or, 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 or Minnesota, okay, like they're the ones that really should have been in on getting Mookie Betts, like they, they were that, that need a guy to get over the top. You know, the Dodgers have talent up the wazoo. So, and they know, still, but they still can't win. That's like yeah, they they haven't won a World Series, right? Uh, but I, I, I mean, it's like if we have to break down reasons why the Dodgers didn't win. Me and you, me and you, be here for for weeks because they they need like a psychiatrist because there's so many things that you know. Just last year losing to the Nationals, there's so many times where they should have won and they just didn't. You, you can't understand why Kershaw has the issues he does. You know, there's so many things that happen that you just can't explain. All right, uh, but you know, uh, the Cardinals or even you know, like even the Mets, like if you're the Mets and, and Betts is out there, you go get him. He's he would have clearly put them over the top. But, goes yeah, but they, 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 they can't even get they can't even get out of their own way to win. Hmm? There's cer- there's a lot of teams that don't want to pay that. To win. Well, that that to me is that's a, that's is a who scary, I'm disappointed in. That is a scary thought and proposition when you talk about pro sports and a lot of these franchises fans are resigned to the fact that we 
can't even any be anywhere close to this guy because our team doesn't yeah. even pay. And like, I, I, I yeah. never thought of Mookie Betts to the Mets. I never thought it was a possibility or a chance going to happen. But it shouldn't it be? Yes, the it Mets are a be. big time team here, a big but time market. But it's not just the Mets. To your point, it's the Indians, it's right? The Twins, I, yeah. the Twins especially. To your point, we're close last year. They every year they make the playoffs and get yeah. crushed by the Yankees. They don't even win a game. Yep. And if they already gave a small price, or to Oakland. Like, you know, like o- Oakland every year. Like, is Oakland ever going to get out of the first round one time in the, in the millennium? They've gotten out of the first round. They've been to playoffs, what, eight times? You know? Like, I, there, there is this theory now where you could hire a guy in his 20s who's a math major who can somehow figure out mathematical calculations on what a player's worth. You can hire him. You can kind of have a, 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 a bottom-line roster of all guys that are statistically viable. And make the playoffs like the like the Rays did last year. Like I think that's what baseball has become. How can we win with a with the lowest payroll possible, save money, and develop our farm system so we can kind of regenerate every every three four years? Oakland's done it very well. Minnesota's done it pretty good. You know the Rays have done it pretty good. You know these teams have made the playoffs three four five times in the last ten years. So I think that's kind of what a lot of these owners now are trying to do. And teams like the Dodgers, they're like the Yankees, okay, because they have so much money. They, they don't care. They, they'll take on these guys. They'll have high payrolls because they can afford to pay them. And, and a lot of the other teams don't feel they can. Let me ask you this, then. I, w- I wonder if this would change it. Would raising the luxury tax threshold, would that, would that do anything? Because, again, I, there's no salary cap in baseball. So there's yeah, theoretically right. nothing but preventing these teams. Yeah. From outside of paying money, there's mm-hmm. no like in, in, in the NFL or the NBA when there's a hard cap and no matter what, you can't spend more than X amount. Mm-hmm. There's not in baseball. So it's to your point, it's how yeah. much do the owners want to pay in tax yeah. to make sure they have one of the best teams on the field. But if if that, they that doesn't that, necessarily mean you're going to like, like I, I think the one thing we can say is just because just you spend money doesn't mean you're going to win. So you're right. I mean, the Nationals are a prime example of that and the Dodgers are a prime example of that in the other way where they spend all this money every year and have yet to win a World Series. But I wonder, like, if the Red Sox didn't have to pay the tax, or especially now with free agency, you see these contracts, right? The, the money's only going up. Any player that reaches free agency, yep. they're only getting more and more money. Yep, I so, know. The th- was it, Garrett Cole got 324, which is the highest yep. annual value for a pitcher? Yep. That's only going to go up the yep. next stud pitcher that gets there. Same with, you know, with, with, uh, with position players. Yep. With, was it Bryce Harper got 330? That's only, like, Mookie Betts going to get more than that. So, should you, I think raising the luxury tax threshold to a number – what is it now? Two oh eight, maybe to two fifty, maybe that. I, I hope that that could maybe get some more teams in it. Personally, I, I, I don't know. That's I, what I, I, it's a, I think t- so many teams are obsessed with saving money. So many yes. teams are obsessed with doing things cheaply, and and being able to say, oh wow, look at this guy. He only spent eight million dollars on his roster, and he made the postseason. Like I think that is what's in right now. Hiring that's what gets me nervous. Hiring these math majors who are, you know, like I said, in their mid-20s have absolutely, like, they, could, they don't even probably know what a baseball is, but they know how to come up with formulas to, you know, kind of figure out what a player's worth or, or, or how to draft a, a team that you could get away with financially and, and still be competitive. Because you, you look at all these teams, and there is enough research and enough evidence that you can win that way, where other teams are starting to buy into it. You look at that, how the Brewers kind of reshaped their organization, became one of the better teams in the National League. I, I, I think a lot of these franchises are starting to 
understand that the way you really build long-term success is through the draft and through putting money into, um, you know, overseas, putting money into uh, different, you know, uh, a lot of these uh, Latin communities or, or where, where, where ballplayers can be developed at a young age and, uh, you know, developing players that way I think is the better way to go than spending money on free agency, uh, you know, having a high salary cap. I, I think that all these, you know, probably 60%, 70% of major league teams have bought into the fact that they want to have a roster that isn't, doesn't go over – you know, wh whatever they, they put the minimum at, like maybe 175 million or, you know, 160 million or whatever. This is where we're going to keep our, our roster and we're going to develop our players. We're going to put a lot of money into uh, scouting. We're going to put a lot of money into player development and that's how we're going to compete. I, I think a lot of teams are resigned to doing that now than just having a lot of money like the Dodgers and, you know, being in a market where you know you're going to be able to sign Big, and that, that's the other thing, too, is there's no way to stop this, okay? Like in the 80s, the owners tried to end high-priced free agents. They're still trying now. So, it, but, it, it, but they, they actually, like, the players' union actually won a court case against them in the, in the late 80s. I think it was like 87, 1987, Andre Dawson, Tim Raines, these guys became free agents, and nobody wanted them. And so the players union actually proved collusion among the owners that the owners decided they got together and they said, we're not going to sign any of these guys. Salaries are getting out of control. There's no way we're to give these guys a lot of money. And so that you really can't do that. If you're the owners, you can't do that. Yeah, it's so happening now. We see it now. Yeah, Tony Clark, we see a lot of these players going through half the year without getting signed. Right. It took Bryce Harper to March what? February right. what? To get signed. And, and they still got a little different, but there's so many great players that just go unsigned or sign a one-year deal for less money because they're afraid that I'm not going to get a job. Mm -hmm. And to, it's just, <clears throat> excuse me, it's ridiculous. And I, I, commercially, I think it's it's bad for baseball personally. But what, what's your thought? Eight four five four seven eight three two seven two eight four five four seven eight three two seven two. Lenny Long on. You got to know, Mark. This was coming. We're I talking know, I know baseball. Lenny, diehard baseball fan. Lenny, like we got calls. Lenny's our biggest fan, though. Lenny's, Lenny's is our biggest yeah, fan. Yeah, He's very busy guy, Lenny. so we yeah. appreciate you calling I, in. I am your biggest fan, and I'm going to come in one day, and I'm going to have bacon and eggs and watch you guys. Okay? All right. All right. Uh, but I, I'll go back to my own experience. When uh, I was in third grade, and, and uh, a friend of mine walks in and told me that Don Newcomb was traded to the Cincinnati Reds. I immediately went to the back of the classroom so nobody would see me crying, huh. okay? And that's, uh, so, yeah, the Mookie Betts deal. Now, here's the deal. And, and you mentioned the name just now, Bryce Harper. It, every team has money. Bull Dinky and Poppycock, when you think that some of the teams, and yeah, some teams have more than others, but they all have enough money to be competitive. And the problem with baseball is too many teams are not interested in being competitive. Uh, Francisco Lindor may go in a trade. Mm -hmm. Nolan Arenado may go mm -hmm. in a trade. You saw Mookie Betts go in a trade. Right. Chris Bryant may go in a trade. Right. Yeah, that is absolutely true. horrible for baseball. That's true. And if you take the position that Bryce Harper 
was on Washington, getting very you know paid, in, and they could have. And then he goes to Philadelphia, and right. then Washington wins. Right. It's about how to run a team. Right. It's not about how much money you spend. I mean Pittsburgh, and I'll be finished after this. Wait, 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 wait! Don't hang up. Smart, they could have had Jamison Tyon, Tyler Glassdale, and Garrett Cole yeah. as their pitching staff. Lenny, so, don't hang up. Don't hang up, Lenny. I'm not hanging up. No, because you, you always do that. You always cheat us of talking to you, Lenny. I hate it. They can call yeah. us, you make a point, and then you hang up before you well, can ask your question. Well, Lenny's busy, Mark. Come on. I know. No, no, he's, no, I'm, I'm not hanging up. I know. All right. So, like we, we, we were talking about, okay, is that the, the new understanding of how to build a franchise is to, you know, hire a guy that's great with numbers, to put a lot of money into drafting, come up with ways to win cheaply. So, you know, like, I, I think you're saying the same thing, is that teams right now, it's about making money, and it's about doing things, uh, like, basically on the cheap, where they can stay competitive that way rather than putting money into uh, some of these players. How, how can you combat that? You can combat it like Tampa combats it. Use your freaking brain and try to win, okay? It's not about the um, – look, I know it's a business, but Tampa does it. So if Tampa can be competitive in the American League East with the lowest payroll, come on. It, right. you know, uh, but that's maybe the problem, maybe like though. Baseball, Maybe they'll come up with some restrictions, and they did uh, this uh, uh, sharing of uh, uh, of money. Revenue, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But that has a problem, though, Lenny. Like I think Ryan's Ryan's saying that too. Is that not enough teams? Not enough teams are motivated to spend money because right. teams like Tampa win that way. So mm-hmm. now, but Tampa might win, but they're not winning a World Series. You know? What do you mean they're not winning a World Series? Well, Tampa, well, Tampa hasn't won a World Series. I mean, but that, they can't, so they're coming close, so they yeah, could win it. Right, but you know, close, when you get close, as close as they what? do, it's a matter of uh, games that, 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 that make the difference, okay? Right. There are teams with a lot more money than San Francisco. Right, you're right. Giants have a lot more money than Tampa, and Tampa's a much better chance of winning the World Series than San Francisco. I mean, to be fair, I mean, the, come on. the Giants yeah, won three League World Series in five years the this decade. The fans have to wake up. That's what it is. Right. I, I think he's saying that the Giants were at least were, were, were a franchise. What, what, what do you, what's your point about the Giants, Lenny? The point was the Giants have plenty of money. They're not nearly as successful as Tampa. You're talking they about won three, three World, World Series in five years this yeah. decade. I'm sorry? They, the Giants won three World Series in five years mm. in this decade. The Rays haven't yeah, sniffed a World Series. Yeah, but look Series. at them now. Who has now? Yeah, but look at them now. I mean, yeah, the Giants did things the right way for a while, so now the Giants are kind of yeah, kind of for rebuilding. Yeah, a while, so big deal. But yeah. they should but be the, the three, Winning three World Series is a big deal. Yeah, so, but that, no, I look. That's kind of our point, I'll though, go Lenny. back to the days of Alvin Dark. Oh, I, did. I, uh, I, I know you do. I know you do. I know you do. You're right. San Francisco's been a good team. You know what the stupidest thing is in sports? The New York fans. Right. And I'll tell you why. They still have to refer to the football giants. <laughs> they have to call them the football giants, right? That bothers you, Lenny, the New York football giants? Because people in New York don't know that, they, that, that the baseball giants moved in 1958. Hey, like right, here, here you go. I Lenny. should go to the Polo Grounds. Yeah, I Lenny. see some teams playing. Lenny, the Giants left. <laughs> Lenny, when when did the New York Football Giants? What was the last year they played in the Polo Grounds? Oh, I, uh, uh, the foot. I I remember. The, I went to a game and saw Alex Webster. I know. Quarter off the field. I believe he did at the Polo Grounds. Not I believe Yankee he did. Stadium. Right, right. So even at, the last year they played in the Polo Grounds was 1955. They started playing the uh, Yankee Stadium in 1956. Right. It was Alex Webster, Mel Triplett, Frank Gifford with Charlie Connolly, quarterback, and uh, and there you go. 
So anyway, listen, you guys, I got to go do a podcast now. All right, all right. Lenny, uh, be a busy, busy, busy guy, Lenny. Faces. You're both the two handsomest guys on the radio. Uh, thank and, you, thank uh, you. I'll speak to you. Thank soon. you very much, yeah. Thank <laughs> you, Lenny. We, we yeah. always appreciate the call. We do. We, we do appreciate you, Lenny. Thank there's you. There's a guaranteed call from Lenny about baseball. There's, there's a few names you brought up because I want to kind of continue this conversation. So we'll, do, we'll take a quick break. What Lenny discussed and why a trend not only just continues in baseball, but I mean really in real life. It, but now it's starting to trickle into baseball. So it is the Morning Boys, Ryan Hickey, Mark Everett, Kelly with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Morning, boys. Are back here on a Thursday morning. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we are here every Monday, Thursday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. exclusively only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You hear money coming back as of the whole discussion so far this morning is the decision by the Red Sox to trade Mookie Betts to the Dodgers and basically punting on the idea of giving Mookie Betts a long-term contract and operating in a small market mindset in the sense that they don't want to pay the big superstar the big bucks. They feel like they can't afford him. So instead, we'll trade him, get some sort of value, any sort of value back. And more importantly for the Red Sox, they prioritize getting under the luxury tax, saving money, not paying the tax over pay rewarding a superstar player for being one of the best players in baseball and already re- resigning to the fact that they can't resign him. And I want to kind of discuss this, Marcus, because Lenny brought it up, and he mentions a few other teams. And this is a trend. This is a trend, again, not just in baseball, but really in life, and we're seeing it start to trickle into baseball, which is the fact that obviously we, we know, especially in a capitalist society, in a capitalist market that the United States works in, the goal is to make as much money as possible, which is fine. I mean, there's, there's no cap to it. There should be no reason why you can't earn as much money as you possibly can. The issue comes in with now is that companies are starting to try to earn as much money as possible while also spending the least amount of money as possible, right? You always heard the saying, you got to spend money to make money. That used to be the saying for a long time. That's not happening anymore. And the thing that gets me nervous about just overall disconnect that baseball already has with fans and that can continue to grow is that you have owners now that are very rich, right? John Henry with the Red Sox, again, I keep saying this, they're the third highest valued franchise in Major League Baseball. That's a huge deal because they have a lot of money. They're in a big market. They have a lot of things going their way where they should be able to spend. Basically, they print money. And for them to basically try to claim like they don't have enough money, oh, what was us? We can't afford these big-time guys to sign up to huge contracts. You can. You choose not to. And that's where my issue comes in because now you, like, if you're a Red Sox fan, how do you justify watching a guy grow up through your organization through five years, literally do everything right, have no holes in his game, be great defense, great offense, win a World Series, won an MVP, has been consistently good, right? Four All-Stars, four Gold Gloves in five full seasons. He's done everything right you're supposed to do. How do you justify watching him getting traded to a team and then basically have your owner come out and say, we're not good. we can't afford to pay him in the offseason and he's gone? It just to me it drives me crazy that these owners are now are trying to win, still win, still be competitive, but yet not put the money out there to spend on players to make that happen. And not to mention too, Lenny brought it up, and I want to kinda of hit on this. You have Francisco Lindor in Cleveland. You have Nolan Arenado in Colorado. Two examples, at least in Arnado's case, that already got paid, but now is getting frustrated because the Rockies paid him a big contract, mm-hmm. but now don't want to spend money elsewhere. Don't want to improve the team. They finished in last place last year, and they don't want to pay money to either trade for players or sign for agents or improve their team in any way. And now that's why Nolan Arnado wants out because he's like, when I sign this contract, yeah. you told me we're going to compete, we're going right. to try to win. Right. Sign the yeah. contract. Now they're not trying to win. Right. They're not competing. They finished dead last last year, and they yeah. did nothing to improve their team. I think players got to understand this too. Okay, if players are going to demand all this money, 
and they have to un understand that maybe they're going to take up a lot of the payroll. So if you have a guy like Bryce Harper who makes uh, and $330 million or whatever ridiculous contract he signs, he can't be complaining, oh, the Phillies don't have money to sign anybody when he takes up you know, 50% of their, their roster. So there, there's a, a catch to that too. Now, in Arnauto's case, he was under the impression that you know, Arnauto isn't in that category. Makes, it makes a lot of money. But again, I think he's, for the stats he puts up, which are very good stats, I think over uh, the averages of his seven-year career, something like 40 homers, 100 and something RBIs, I mean, 300 batting average, that's great for the type of money he's making, okay, which isn't out of control. So there's an expectation there that they're going to go out and get guys to help him win. I don't know if they did a good enough job of sitting down with them and saying, this is what we have in our minor league system, this is how we're going to develop. He has to see an overall plan of how they're going to compete if you're investing that much in one player. Well, I'll say this. You, you figure last year they had the contract negotiations and signed the contract. Right. That would, like, that's, that's when you bring to it do up. It, yeah. And if that was a plan, then Nolan Honor has no reason to complain. Right. Right? If they said this is a four-year build, kind of right. like what, what the Padres are doing, right? They right. signed Manny Machado and Eric right. Hosmer, those huge right. contracts. Right. But they say, look, they got a lot of money too. Fernando Tatis yeah. Jr., we have a lot of these young guys yeah. coming up through the system. Right. You give us two or three years, yeah, we'll then, awesome. you know, right. Yeah. And but they got a lot of young towns of Padres. Right, exactly. And that's why you don't hear those guys complaining or – yeah. Or, or, you know, because they're not making moves. Th to me, like that Arenado complaining is a signal that they said we're going to spend money. If I don't know what the, off the off top of my head what the Rockies farm system is. Right. I don't think it's that great. And, again, if it was, Arenado should have known who's going to They said, listen, two or three years, we'll bring these guys in, we'll slowly integrate them. And by the time, you know, we're hit year three or four-year deal, we'll be in it every year. We'll be challenging the Dodgers and getting in the playoffs. So if that was the case, I don't think Arenado would be complaining year one that the Dodgers aren't trying to make moves, or excuse me, the Rockies aren't trying to make moves, because he understands this is a three- or four-year build. With teams like... And it's getting nasty between them, too. Yeah, because like like he feels they lied to them, which yeah. is frustrating, because now you have teams that, sure, they, they spend on one player and then don't want to spend on anything else. I understand Colorado's not the biggest market. Cleveland's not the biggest market. But let's not pretend these, these owners and these teams aren't raking in money. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that, well, that's the thing. I don't think there's any team out there that's going to cry poverty. Right. right, and if you do, you shouldn't be able to own a Major League Baseball team. That's the frustrating part. Is just like you have now – I understand it's a business. I mean, don't get me wrong. The owners buy these teams to make money. That is the end-all, be-all. It's not a winning championship. It's not a, to get franchise players on the field. It's to get butts in the seats. How can we do that as cheap as possible? How can we make as much money as possible? Because in the end, it's a business. But it's, just, it's frustrating and at least concerns me, again, when you have all these markets now just – resigned to the fact that we aren't going to sign players, you do the right thing, you draft well, you develop well, and now you have superstar players that you did all the work for, and now you get to see teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Angels, teams like the Yankees, cap, you know, basically capitalize and take what you did, all that learning, all that development you did, and cash in because they can pay a higher price tag, and now they get all, they get all the benefits without getting any of you know, the early bumps in the road. And that's what's frustrating. Even like you know, the Indians for, with Francisco Lindor, He's their, like, their one player they have that is a superstar that is, should be the face of the team that could stay in Cleveland for 10, 15 years, and they're already resigned to the fact that we can't resign him. And it's just it's frustrating to see like that is now the mindset of like these teams where it's just like you know we can't afford him, and we're just going to watch him go somewhere else or try to trade pennies on the dollar because we know we can't resign him when he gets free agency. I, I hope that like, if, if the luxury tax threshold resets, that could be a solution because now if you lessen the penalties or just raise the, the ceiling 
for the salary, let's just say quote unquote cap because teams kind of do treat this like a salary cap, but they want to get a luxury threshold yeah. as much as possible, right? So it's a um, well, I I I don't think that's going to do it. I I don't think if you lower the amount of money that they're going to be penalized. No, I, I say yeah. raise it. Like so, the the threshold is two hundred eight million before right. you get. Like, what right. if you raise it to two fifty? So now you open up extra. Let's just say forty forty five million dollars per per year per per team. I mean, now you can afford if you're the Red Sox on Mookie Betts. Now if you're the like, I don't know if it's more the overall money for the Indians compared to just the tax threshold you're yeah, paying. Yeah, I, I don't think so. But I it's just like for the Rockies now, you can afford to add other players on your roster without going over and paying a tax and trying to be competitive. But I think team, teams already kind of know this. I, I think going into the off season about how much the salary cap's going to go up, how much the uh, the penalty is going to be, how, how much money they have to spend on each. Each player, I, I think all these all these teams now have these in-depth calculations of like what to play or what what to pay at each position, how much each position is worth. You know, it's it's broken down to such a ridiculous system now uh, because teams are so crazy about being able to not overspend to win. Because if you spend a lot of money and you just throw everything out out there. What's everybody going to say? Well, they won because they spent the most money. Like, that's always, like, a lot. Even even if you win, teams don't really want to be branded with that anymore. Pe- teams want this kind of understanding that they did things uh, in an intellectual way. They took advantage of all their resources, and they were able to beat the system and win. It wasn't about spending the most money. It was about having intelligent guys all throughout the organization and being able to develop players and, you know, come up with a, a winning type of system that – equals consistent success. So you have the uh, MLB has just become this statistically formulated league where everything is about uh, calculations and how much can we spend it, you know, overall that's going to cost us to win. What's the least amount of money that we could spend to win? How can we spend the little, at least amount as possible and still win? And that's like, I guess overall, like the most frustrating part is you have Three, you know, a few teams that are willing to spend money to win. And I'm not, to your point, I'm not trying to say spending money equals winning, right? Mm-hmm. The Dodgers are the prime example of that. Even mm-hmm. the Yankees these last decade is a prime example. Spending a lot of money just to throw money around doesn't win. It doesn't mm-hmm. help. It doesn't work, which is, f- I understand that. Spending smart money is how you do it. So my frustration is just like, sh- even with, with Machado and Bryce Harper, for example, because those are the two latest guys that got the huge contracts. There are flaws in each of those players' games that give you reservations that say, sure, I am not 100% willing to spend $300 million on this guy. I think both Machado and Harper had red flags and flaws in their game that are justified where I'm not going to spend this much money. Fine, I understand that. But to me, you see guys like Nolan Arenado, Francisco Lindor, Mookie Betts. Those are the guys, to me at least, that are worth that and you pay the money to. And it's just frustrating to see that, again, Arenado, the Rockies did it to their point. But now they're not spending money. He wants out. And now in, in the examples of Lindor and Betts, Betts was traded, and Lindor wants to be or will probably be traded because the teams don't want to pay. It's, it's not about spending money. It's about spending money wisely. Right. To me, those are the guys you spend money on. So those are absolutely question. the guys who do it. You're a free agent. Yes. Okay? You are going to make a lot of money. How much are you willing to take to win? Like, will you take less to win consistently? Is it more important – like, I understand people have to hit their their mark kind of as this is my chance to get paid and to, you know, be comfortable. But players, too, they got to they gotta have a, a role in this. 
because it, players just can't be about, oh, well, I want to break the bank because then you, got, you can't really expect the organization that invests in you to be able to spend the type of money that they need to have consistent excellence around you if you're taking up 60% of the roster's salary. So how much falls on the players to be willing to work within that and not get an egregious amount of money in order to win? You know, so if, if you're Bryce Harper and you're making $360 million or three hundred, you know, over 13 years, like, how much is enough? You know, it's like at some point the players have to understand, too, that we can't, we can't have it both ways. If we want to win and we want to make money, there's got to be a balance we have where when we become free agents, there's a, there's a number that we won't go over. There's a number that we know it's going to take to get good players around us and be in an organization that's going to consistently win. Because to me, that would, what's it would, what it would be about. I would hate to be like Alex Rodriguez in 2003 or, or 2002 and signing that huge contract with the Rangers uh, for $250 million, I believe, at the time. And then two years into it, he is, he's been on uh, teams that finished in last place, even though he put up great numbers. So players have to take that responsibility, too, and understand that they're part of, the, they're part of the, th that type of problem now where if they're going to sit out and hold out for record-breaking contracts, they can't really – blame the organization for not putting players around them. This is what I'll say about Bryce Harper, and I think this is – to me, I have a tough time shaming the players and say don't take as much money as you possibly can. Basically, help the owner who is a billionaire and is making you know, hand over it's fist money. It's not about helping the owner, though. It's about getting – No, but you are helping the going. owner because you taking less money means that's less money the owner spent on but you, and that's more money he could spend on other people if he wants to. But it's still – How much is enough? And there's no number, but you look at Bryce Harper. You know how much Bryce Harper made last year in 2019? What his annual salary was? $10 million. So I understand, like, if you yeah. want to, that's yeah. where I'll say, it's sure. Ba it's backloaded. Yes. Yeah. So if the player wants to do that, I have no problem with that. If you want to restructure to where, sure, I'm not going to make a lot of money, or you, you can put an option in there where, like, you'll, you'll help out there. You can get Bobby Bonilla contracts. Right. I, I have no problem working it that way, but I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, don't take all the money you can. Don't take, you know, don't set up your family for life. Because I mentioned, too, like, these players, yeah, but we're, we're 40 years old, you're done. I know, but we're talking about an insane amount of money. I mean. But that's what the owners make an insane amount of money, too. I'm not deciding. I could never f sit here and say, right. take less money so the owner who is making hand over fist already can make more money and save more money. Because there's no guarantee he's going to save more money and reinvest it back in the team. We see it with the Mets. That, yeah, right. We see it with the Mets. They no, save that, money true. on different sort of situations. And instead of reinvesting it, they put it back right. in their pockets. You're absolutely right. So there's no reason to You don't want to get that. stuck with that type of greed and that type of, of guy that's going to not pay you and then not pay everyone else and then claim poverty. Exactly. Meanwhile, he's banking and, and you know. Living, uh, you know, high in a hog when his team stinks. Exactly. That that is my. Okay. That's where my but most I'm, contention. What I'm saying from. is it's that is that how much how much can you operate out of good faith is, is so. It th there is a point to that though. If if individual players are are, are making, a large percentage of a team's salary cap. They got to understand that that's going to affect how much money they spend. Look. Obviously, when you sign with an organization, you have to do your homework. You've got to have everything done from top to bottom as where, how many prospects do they have, where does their farm system rank, how long is it going to take to be a consistent winner. All those things got to be worked on and known when you sign with an organization. I'm not saying for play that players need to take less money all the time and do the right thing. I'm saying that there's got to be an understanding of how much is enough to where this is what I'm worth, this is, what I'm, this is what I deserve to get paid. 
like Brady. I like if Brady wanted to, Brady could sit out. Oh, Jordan. Jordan could have could have said to the Bulls, "You got to you got to pay me eighty million dollars a year." This is what I, like, he, there was no value to what Jordan was worth, but he still understood that he couldn't make a certain amount and be competitive. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In 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 most of these situations, you assume owners that come in here are coming in there to win. A lot of the time, that's not true, as we see with the Mets. So th there is a, a understanding of when you, sign a, when you sign a contract that you're signing a contract with a team that's going to want to compete, that they're not signing you just to sign you, that they're signing you because they intend on winning. I think as a player, that's the only reason why I would really want to sign with an organization is that I knew I was going to win. I wonder, I'm just thinking out loud here, would an NBA – and now this will never happen. Would an NBA-structured contract situation for a Major League Baseball work? And what I mean by that is NBA is a structure where five years is a max deal, right? And if you have a homegrown player, if you draft him, develop him, you can get an early window into offering a max deal, and you can offer him more money than any other team could. I think they have a good system now. I really do. I, I like the NBA system a lot. Yeah. Now, I don't think I like the a lot players will, than Major League Baseball. will go for it because basically the players aren't going to – essentially cap what they can make because that's what the NBA is. You can only make a certain amount of money. The max deal is, you know, the super max for a team only goes so high. So no matter – even if you're worth more, you still can make, you know, basically – it's not a capitalist society where you can make as much money as someone's willing to pay you, right? I wonder if a system like that – now, again, I, the players to me would never go for it, so I don't think that that is going to happen in baseball. Play, players union baseball is ridiculous. But I wonder if that would be a solution to where now – Teams are more willing to spend money because it's at the most five years. Like, to your point, for Bryce Harper, he's backloaded. So he's going to get $26 million when he's 37 years old. He's not worth it. And sure, you pay like you get less up front, so you hope you to win the World Series. But it could get ugly towards the end when, you know, to your point, it could take down a team because now if you have this 37-year-old player who's aging and not good making all this money, taking up all this percent of the salary cap, you can't, spend, you can't spend money right. And now it's, just, it's weighing down the team. I wonder if teams – and the Red Sox would more interested if you could say five years. So Mookie Betts is 27. From 27 to 32, we're gonna, you know, he's gonna be the highest paid bear player in baseball. But he's worth like we're gonna get him in his peak and his prime, and then we don't have to worry about the back end when he starts to decline. That's gonna be someone else's problem. I just I wonder out loud if that is a, maybe that would help teams spend more money and have some smaller market or, or I should say middle market teams be more competitive and be more involved. I think teams do that. I think I think if the, the good owners and, and the good the good teams do understand that. They come to a a realization that this is how much we have. This is what we need to consistently compete. This is how much like, like if you break down like Belichick how he breaks down players, he knows like how much each player's worth at a certain age, at a certain position, at you know and I think that's a lot of what you have to really do now in, in pro sports is understand that type of value, what, what you're getting from each position, what, what is of a, what's likely to happen if you're going to pay a guy this amount of money. It's, it's look, this is, this is more than I've ever seen in my life as far as being able to have a winning organization. There's so many different things that go into it. You've got to have a lot of people that are really – I guess, inundated in how to get the most out of a dollar and how to uh, spend the right way. Because one mistake can really put you back for a long time. You know, and look, 
we, we, we know from being in this market that you know, there, there should not be a team that operates in New York that does things on the cheap, and there is. And they've done it for years, and they've robbed the fans for years. They've lied to the fans for years. They're doing it again currently. Like that, you know, I'd, I'd like to get to that point, too, because I, I, I think that when you have a team that operates out of such bad faith as the Mets do, and I don't think there's anybody in New York that trusts the Wilpons. I really don't. The Wilpons have proven themselves to be crooks. All right, so let me stop right there. So we'll, yeah. here's what we'll do. We'll take a quick break because we'll hit the other baseball point is yes. Mm-hmm. When Marcus is uh, referring to Steve Cohen was already a minority investor in the Mets, was supposed to take over 80%, take a majority stake in the Mets within five years. Now he at least allegedly has, is backed out of the deal um, because the Wilpons tried to change the terms at the last second. So we'll get into the details of that, what the future is for the Mets and if the Wilpons will be involved. That is all cut up. Plus, NBA trade deadline is today. Uh, we'll hit on that, and we'll put up a show poll right now. Are you excited about the XFL? Yes or no? We'll get your, we'll gauge your interest. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But again, Steve Cohen, possibly back out of the Mets. What will happen in the future as the owners of the Mets? We'll get into that when we come back. It is the Morning Boys. Ryan Hickey, Mark Everkel with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys on this Thursday morning. Thanks so much for tuning in. Ryan Hickey and Mark Everkelly with you. The boys are back again. And for a February, we talked about this to start the show, for a February that, for the most part, in the sports calendar is very dead and not much going on. There's been a lot going on this week, and we just had to spend a whole hour talking about Mookie Betts and not only just the trade to the Dodgers, but the overall philosophy of a lot of baseball teams, including the Red Sox, where they prioritize spending money, or sorry, saving money, over trying to put a, a great product on the field and even trying to win a World Series. And to me, at least, that's at least what the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts, a bona fide superstar, a, an athlete that you would love to have as his face of your franchise moving forward. And essentially, Salah dumped him with David Price to get under the luxury tax threshold and save some money. Um, so speaking of saving money, and especially in baseball now, we go from one disaster to another. As the Mets, myself and Mark, both Mets fans, there was some hope. You've been under the Wilpons rule as, as for two decades, two decades too long. Mets, despite being in the biggest you know, market in America, operate as a small market. Teams not spend a lot of money. When they do spend money, spend it recklessly and ill-advised at some points. And there was a saving grace, Mark. It was light at the end of the tunnel in December. You had Steve Cohen announced that he was going to buy a majority stake, 80% of the Mets. He's going to come in. He would be the richest owner in baseball. So the Mets would go from penny pinchers to having the owner with the deepest pockets of baseball in the blink of an eye. Now, what was a little scary, a little interesting, is that the terms of the deal that are being worked on, at least rumored at the time, was that the Wilpons have control of the Mets for five years, control of SNY for 20 years, and then after that time, Cohen would take over fully. Um, and instead now, his reports, starting with Barstool um, Sports, and now starting to be verified by a lot of other baseball people as well, is that Steve Cohen is backing out of the deal in part because of late changes to the contract and negotiations and agreement, which the New York Daily News yesterday kind of shone some light on, was that, I guess, the Wilpons, specifically Jeff Wilpon, was wanting control of the Mets longer than five years and wanting control of SNY longer than 20 years, which was originally agreed upon back in December. And now the, the Daily News also went out to report that out of you know, the Wilpon family of Fred and Jeff, 
the father and son owners, and Saul Katz, who was a, a, a son-in-law, as the three figureheads of the Mets. Saul Katz, Fred Wilpon, the father and the son-in-law, wanted out. They, they were ready to sell. They didn't want ownership of the Mets anymore. They were willing to do the deal with Steve Cohen. Jeff, now the son, is the one that want to have who changed the terms of the deal and still wants to hold on to Mets ownership longer than the agreed-upon terms originally of five years with the team, 20 years with the, with the network, which is SNY. And, Mark, you wrote an article on World of Sports Radio Network, so I want to kind of let you have that. And if you go to world, WorldWideSportsRadio.com, you can read Mark's article about how this is not the first time this happened with the Mets. This is a pattern that is starting to occur twice in this decade this happened. So, Mark, well, let's hear what you wrote about how this relates to the Mets, and again, why history is all of a sudden repeating itself in the same decade. Yeah, well, you had back in 2011 a guy called David Einhorn, which was a hedge fund manager just like Cohen is. And he agreed in May of 2011 to buy a percentage of the Mets. I believe it was he would own 60% of the team, and uh, after three years, we'd take over ownership. And Met fans were thrilled because back in 2011, it was a lot more desperate. The Mets had the collapses of 2007 and 2008. Then they moved into City Field, and then there was a whole Bernie Madoff thing where you, you still look. I don't know. I, 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 because I don't trust them and because I think they're criminals, uh, you know, not to be – look, I, I do. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I do not trust the Wilpons. I do not trust anything they do. I do not trust what they tell the fans. I think they've robbed Met fans from having a – consistent, competitive product for a lot of years. Uh, my dad was part of the Mets organization for a number of years as a, you know, uh, as an usher where he, he's around from the early 60s up until about 2004, 2005. So he had a lot of uh, people he knew in the organization. And it, it, it just, the Wilpons are just, I, I just, there's something about them I just don't trust, okay? So I don't really know, nobody really even knows how much money they lost with the, in that whole deal. It was always kind of shady, everything that evolved around the Bernie Madoff deal. That being said, when they were allowed to keep ownership of the team, which they shouldn't have been, they should have been stripped of ownership back then, just because they, they were involved in it. I, I think they knew they didn't have the, the type of money, or at least they said they didn't have the type of money to invest back in the team, yet they told the fans that they were still going to be competitive. They put such a non-product on the field those couple years. They didn't spend money in free agency, yet they told the fans that they were. They were going to be play players in the market, and none of it happened. Uh, Mets fans paid a lot of money paying top dollar for tickets, and you're getting nothing back as far as talent that you're watching. So uh, in 2011, that was, it was a lot more uh, kind of necessary for a sale to take place. The same kind of thing happened then. In May, they announced that this would be the deal with him getting majority ownership in a couple years. And the one holdup that kind of nobody understood was how the Wilpons were going to keep control of SNY. And then in September, he announced that he was backing out of the deal. And if you go to my article, it explains uh, a, he has a statement made where the Wilpons at the last minute kind of change the terms of the contract that he did not feel comfortable with, and he backed out. It's kind of the same thing that's happening here with Cohen. And how often, you know, fool me once, uh, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I, and I think Met fans and people in general that, that care about New York baseball are kind of saying the same thing. Enough. Enough. Like, we, we, you can't get us again here. 
And if the Wilpons don't make this deal, who is going to come to the table that's, that's going to – no one will trust them anymore. No, nobody trusts them now. So, you know, I mean, they were lucky to get this guy and, and his $2.6 billion in to buy the team. You know, and he's, and he's – when, when you have that much money, you don't want to be screwed around with. And that's kind of what we see. And like you said, it's not really Fred. Fred is – I don't know how much Fred has been a problem. I don't think he's ever been a problem as much as Jeff has been because Jeff is always sticking his stupid nose in there where it doesn't belong, whether it's in drafting, whether it's in trades. It's this – first of all, we know Jeff is an elitist that he's been for years. He grew up with money, so he has no idea what, what real life is like. But I, 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 I think he, he throws that into the organization. I think there's an arrogance about him that just pisses me off. And it brings it into negotiations like this, okay, that, that, that level of arrogance and elitism. I can't stand it. And that's what the Mets reek of. And I've, I've absolutely had it with that. So Wilpon, you know, Jeff Wilpon can go screw himself because so many Mets fans hate his guts. And I'm, I'm the biggest person that hates his guts because yeah. of stuff like this. Well, I mean, you're right. There's no Mets fan that or fans of Wilpons or likes the Wilpons, and this is why this was such a saving grace, right? Exactly. But to your point, you just asked the question, all right, if this falls through again, you know, shame on, you know, sh- fool me twice, shame on me. Right. To your point, going with other investors, who else would come in and buy the Mets? I don't even, like, that's what's so scary about this proposition where if this deal with Steve Cohen does fall through is because it sounds like Jeff is the one that wants to keep the Mets, right? Fred is reserved to selling. Saul Katz is reserved to selling. So two of the three main people involved in ownership of the Mets are resigned to selling the team and are ready to move on and ready to rid themselves of the Mets. The thing that scares you is you have Jeff Wilpon now, who seems to be the one that wants to keep it, seems to be the one who's changing the terms of the deal. The CEO, yeah. If he wants, if this falls through, not only will like will the Mets struggle with getting offers, they won't even want offers. Because that, that's the thing, too. You have to, like, this is a, almost, I, I said this yesterday, this is a two-decade sort of decision. Yeah. Because if Steve Cohen backs out and Jeff Wilpon makes the deal, the terms of the deal where he basically is finagling it on purpose to have Steve Cohen back out and he can keep control of the team, he's 57, 58 years old. He's going nowhere. He's still young enough to where he's going to be here for another 10 or 20 years. He's not going to just back out of this deal and then next year or two years, but you know what, ah, maybe I'm, 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 I want to sell the team. I'm ready. This is not going to happen. This is the best situation the Mets have got. They have a owner, or they sorry, they have a hedge fund manager who is ready to pay $2.6 billion to you to say, let me take what you have. The Mets would become the richest, would have the richest owner in baseball. So this is not, you know, they're getting pennies on the dollar. This is this is a massive transaction where if this if the money is not the reason why they want to sell, they're not gonna sell. And the Mets will be Mets and the Mets fans will be stuck with the Wilpons for another two decades before they even entertain the idea of selling again. This is Jeff's baby. He wants it for whatever reason. He wants to continue to, like you said, meddle, get like a decision, baby. and just continue to be involved despite having no baseball knowledge and not allowing the people he hires to do the right job. And I told you not hiring the right people to do the job in general in the first place. So it's this is why it's so scary for Mets fans and those associated in Roof of the Mets is because this is a two-decades-worth right. decision to where if this falls through, if Steve Cohen backs out or the deal does not get completed – the Wilpons are going nowhere soon, despite Fred's age, right. despite his willingness to sell, no, Fred, despite Fred, Saul Fred's Katz's not a, age. Yeah. Fred's not a bad guy. Really, he's not. Fred, Fred has never been a problem. You know, when Fred, Fred and Nelson Doubleday bought the team in 1980, they kind of saved the Mets. 
because the Mets were going nowhere in the late 80s. They, they, they were all awful for a couple of years. These guys came in, and they added so much hope into the organization, rebuilt their farm system, all this stuff, hired Frank Cashin, hired David Johnson, guys like that, okay, drafted Strawberry, Gooden, all those guys. And then Doubleday, I think, uh, was bought out in, like, maybe 2002 or something. Yeah, 2002 is when they took over yeah. full ownership. And and ever since then, that little arrogant I, – I, I can't say – Please whatever, don't curse. Yeah, Please, but, I'm begging you. But but he is. I mean, w- w- Jeff Wilpont is a spoiled a little spoiled brat, and he's run this organization like a frat house, kind of. Like, you know, like uh, watching Revenge of the Nerds, you know, where he's kind of sitting up there with all his – you know, rich buddies and, you know, making these awful decisions that's c- costing the average fan that wants to see a competitive team and that put their heart and soul into the Mets and that he doesn't give a, a, a poop about them. He really doesn't. And it's that level of elitism I can't stand that I really hate. And I, I, I think he is the poster boy of that. So there's something about him that this guy Cohen doesn't trust, that Einhorn didn't trust, that there's some kind of finagling going on, which is, to me, if you're going to sell, sell. It, 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 you know, you've had it for so long. You, you have so much money. Get Do something else. You know, I mean, get, the, the Mets fans deserve so much better. And I, I think they're getting finagled again. And it's just it just breaks my heart because – it was a, a franchise that, you know, the, the Mets fans are not, you know, it's like I feel that they're always constantly having the rug taken out from under them. And that's not just because I, I have rooted for the organization. Um, you know, because basically on, on the tier of teams that I root for, the Mets are probably on the bottom. You know, it's like you have the Jets, you had Denny, the Knicks for a while, and then you have the Islanders, and then the Mets are kind of there. Wow, okay. You know? Uh, where I, I I don't I don't invest you know like my heart because also because baseball's forever the season's forever so you can't live and die with every game. Um, That's advice know, you, I have to take you, because unfortunately your boy does that and it kills me. Really? Yeah. yeah see, I, I, w- I would I would I would need therapy if I did that. You know, like like the game against the Nationals last year, like that that one like almost. I remember I was on the phone with Michelle when it happened, and I was so shocked. Like she 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 was she was worried about me. Yeah, when they blew a six-run lead in the ninth inning. Yeah, I, which I, I remember yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, but, the, you know, those types of, you know, whatever. But, I, I like, I, I think that there, this was something that when it was announced, I think all Met fans were waiting for the other shoe to drop, and now it has, and it's the same stuff that we've been dealing with since the Mayoff deal. Because that's really when people started to see some kind of red flag with the – with the organization. No, I mean you're right, and it's, it's it's it goes back to the point we just we talked about for an hour with Mookie Betts. It's you have owners in place that their goal is to spend the least amount of money, make the most amount of money, and from there hope that that philosophy yeah, and practice pays off by putting a winning team on the field. Right? The Mets got to the World Series in 2015. They mm-hmm. made the UNS Cespedes trade. You yeah. give them credit. Yeah. They, they signed right. Cespedes, but it's not like. Their goal is not to win the World Series. No, I don't think it is. And, again, when you talk about with with Fred and you want to keep the team, his goal, to your point, is they operate like a small market. And it's not just reserved for the Mets, but other teams are doing this well where, for whatever reason, like, I can understand it's a business, but it's just spending the least amount of money to win the most games does not work. It just just does not work. And, again, spending it wisely is important, but the Mets don't hire enough people to put put in place to 
make the wise right. decisions to to do it. Or if they do, for they, example, they, they don't, don't let them do it. They don't. Yeah, they don't. They hire the right guys, but then don't let them do the right. job. Like Alderson was a, a, a great hire, but I mean, I'm, I'm, he operated with such like they totally suffocated him. I don't know how much he had as far as players they drafted. Look at the players they drafted. As far as the top draft picks, they didn't really get dynamic guys that are going to change the shape of the organization. Alonzo was a guy that got kind of in, what, second, third round? So it's not like the guys they drafted were, uh, you know, guys that they allowed Alderson to really really go and have his pick of, of the litter. I mean, we knew Alderson knows how to build organizations like he did with Oakland. But I, I, I think it's – you have something here that just stinks and reeks, and there's such a stench with the Will Ponds that you, you, Mad fans just want to be rid of it because it's kind of run their organization for so many years, and you don't know what the truth is ever. You don't know what really is going on because there always seems to be uh, a tilt that you don't find out until later. I, I Look, I feel for the players. I, I really like a lot of the Met players. I love Jacob DeGrom. I love Syndergaard. You know, uh, you, you got to love a guy like Alonzo, you know, who has really bought into this market, and the fans love him, and, you know, Jeff O'Neill, like, it, there's a lot to like about the players on the Mets. But I think it's so overwhelmed by this shadowy figure that you don't trust. And ultimately, I think most, the majority, I say like 85% of Mets fans do not trust this organization. I'd put it higher. I would say at least 90. Here we go. It's like card shocks. Because this is higher this than a queen. <laughs> yeah, it's, seriously. But this is your point. You hit on it perfectly. It's, forget just for a second the lack of spending money and the penny pitcher when it comes to the product on the field, right? The Mets have been a laughing stock for the last two decades in the way they operate. The Bobby Bonilla is a joke every single year <laughs> because the Mets now got stuck. Instead of trying to pay the small money up front, they, they dragged it out, and look what happens. They're paying a million dollars now, and he's one of the highest-paid players on their team every single year because they're paying, what is it, $30 million instead of just paying two or three up front. Bobby but Bo. it's just like you have – an executive from Tony Bernard ripping off his shirt in the middle of a minor oh league locker room. Oh, my gosh, yes. Challenging to oh fight God, the yes. own play. Like, you have every year, it feels, I, you have Obermanaya Manaya calling out a reporter and Adam Rubin basically saying, you're trying to take my job. I know, and I like, know. You have and that, that wasn't even the worst about Bernard. No. I have, I have, I have that story for you when we get up there. That, that, that wow. wasn't even the worst about oh, it. Okay. Yeah. So, but, but, so as you, every year there's always something that the national media, the national fan base of, of – and even just sportsmen in general can point and laugh at the Mets because, like, here we go, same old Mets. Uh, and it's just like every single year there's always something. And now this Stephen Cohen deal, Steve Cohen deal, is just the icing on top, right? Or, yeah, because icing on the cake, I should say. Because now it's just like, again, the Mets have something in place. They find a way to screw it up. And it's just that's the frustration, too, is the Mets, the fans are passionate. They want to win. They want to see a winner. And not only are they not getting that, it's you're seeing your fan, your your team constantly in the news for the worst reasons. They don't run their organization right. properly. They're not the. You look across the street. You look at the Yankees. They never find themselves embroiled no. in scandals no. or a laughing stock or making no. a mockery of themselves. No. But the yeah, Wilpons. Same GM for all these years. Right. right. And you heard the Wilpons too. They like they want to be like the Yankees. They want to be better than the Yankees. They always concern themselves what the sure. Yankees are doing. But yet they continually fall flat on their face. They continually embarrass themselves year after year, no matter what it is. And it's always off-the-field stuff. It's just so frustrating that that is just as big of a part of their ownership outside of lack of spending money is their embarrassment they bring to the organization year after year. I agree. Here's the thing, Ryan. The Mets don't spend money, too. Or or the other parts of the Mets organization are so lacking, okay? How they are in player development, that is a big, big reason why they have not been consistently successful. If you look at their franchise – 
how many everyday players have come from their organization that were that are Hall of Famers or that are borderline Hall of Famers? Who? Who? David Wright? Tom Seaver. Seaver? Uh, no, no. Ball, everyday players. Okay, I mean. No, no. Pi- the, pitchers. The, the Mets don't have a lot of Hall of Fame players anyway. Yeah, even pitchers. So there's like no good, reason to yeah. just limit. Like, it's well, like they have a ton. Yeah, but, they they've, but they've had a lot of good. Like, look, Seaver came from Noel Ryan. Dot Gooden. Yeah, but Nolan Ryan like, made his heyday elsewhere. I know, but he was he, he came up through the Mets organization. That's what I'm saying. He was developed through their organization. Yeah, but that, um, but then again, they weren't. They didn't. They have didn't keep the him, wisdom enough to keep. So right. that's part of it. I mean, that to me, like that that is a, a blemish on their record. Where sure, you you couldn't but, identify talent. But if you think pitching's bad, like just look at their everyday players. Their, their best player probably that they drafted and developed through the organization that had success with the team is probably David Wright. I wouldn't say. I would say definitely. Yeah. I mean, Strawberry, Strawberry was always an, uh, considered uh, he, uh, und- he underperformed, you know, that there was so much more of a talent level he could have reached. Jose Reyes was another guy that you kind of feel gypped on, that he had all this promise, all this talent, you know. Um, who, like Rico Bronia? Like, I, I can't really think of guys that really came, you know. And then, then you have this whole list of guys that were supposed to be good, like the Francisco Martinez, um, is that was that his first name? I don't uh, even know. Fernando, Fernando Martinez. Fernan- yeah. Yes. Lastings um, Millage. You know. Yeah. Lastings Millage. The you know the all these guys that were supposed to be really good everyday ball players that they cannot develop through their organization. Their first round draft picks. These guys that are supposed to they have done a horrible job of that. Why? Because they don't know how to develop any of their talent. That's the big one of the biggest differences between them and the Atlanta Braves, between them and the Nationals, between them and even you know the Yankees or the Indians or the, the Twins Astros. or the yeah. Okay, that's the first thing. The other thing is they don't spend enough money or at least have enough scouts. Like their scouting is horrible. You look at the Braves, okay, and this is what really impresses me about the Braves. When the Mets play the Braves, the Braves know to a freaking T what the weaknesses are in the Mets lineup. Like, you see them, they, each pitcher knows where to go. Like, everything is basically done as far as how they're prepared, who, who does the advanced scouting, all this stuff. they got, like, 15 advanced scouts at all these games. They have so we much information. We know the Mets don't have that. And we also don't know that the Mets aren't able, aren't scouting the I, right I, way. What are you talking about? Oh, Mark, I, 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 I think it's clearly obvious that the Mets do not, do not spend enough money in, in advanced I, scouting. It has absolutely been obvious to me for years that that, that hasn't obvious? happened. Well, I mean, watch how they. Just because you you pick bad no, players doesn't mean you have don't have enough scouts. No, 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 no. Or don't. No, I I think it's how you 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 value. Um, look, advanced scouting is essentially looking at the teams you play and going through all the scouting reports, understanding where to well, pitch yeah. guys, understanding. I, I I don't think they do that enough. I I think the Yankees Mark, do that very well. Mark, the Braves. Mark, you can't you can't make now. You could say execution is no, different. No, I, I can't that, say that. That is a difference. Yeah, but I can't if say they that can't because execute I, I, and I other teams can. That's you can't control that. No, I I I don't think it's a problem with execution. I think it's a problem with with how they prepare. And uh, <laughs> every look, everything else about their organization says the same thing. So that to me is one of the reasons why. I can't say that. I can't. All right, all right just pay attention. Pay attention to it this year, really. Try to pay attention to it this year. Most people don't. Most people don't Mark, pay attention Mark, to stuff if, like that. If they weren't doing their proper scouting, where they didn't know hitters' hot zones and cool zones, you didn't know pitchers' yeah, but that, that, tendencies. That's basic stuff. Everybody knows that. They wouldn't have. 
they won. They finished over five hundred. Everybody, not, everybody, like right, they but were everybody, in the tank. Every, everybody knows that. Okay, but I, I well, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about how you just mentioned the Braves a, yeah, know the Mets' weaknesses to a T every year. There's, a there's no between. reason why the Mets don't know the weaknesses of the Braves, the Nationals. I'm Any not other saying that they, they don't know weaknesses. I'm you just said the Braves. You just I'm said saying you they said do it. They do it better than the Mets. There's there's a reason. Execution between knowing it. It's not. It's not. It's not as. It's not as easy as execution. It's as how you prepare the players to do it. I don't think they do no, a good enough job of that. I don't think they prepare the players enough. I don't. I think how throughout the you, organization, how can you say that? I think throughout the organization, that's a, been a consistent problem. I, I can't. I can't agree with that. I'm sorry. Same I, reason I, why I'm player development. I, I, I do not defend the Wilpons at all. Hey, I, but I, but the, I cannot get on them for not putting the right pieces in place to not even just know the development, you know, like the fundamental ideas of what a team does well and what they don't do well. Because right. you would have heard about that. Michael, you would have players say, we don't know. Okay. They fired their, the, player, the person involved in their event scouting last year. There was a big reason for it because they stink at it. They've always stunk at well, it. Well, part of the reason why is they never embrace analytics. And you had to go back to meddling. You had Fred and Jeff Wilpon who wanted the Mets to scout, wanted to do everything a certain way, old school. They wanted to do the old school way of thinking when it comes to scouting and advance and looking at players. It took to Brody Van Wagen and coming and getting hired, forcing analytics to be brought onto them and forcing them to hire analytical thinker, thinkers when it comes to scouting and drafting players. That is why now you start to see a change, and that's the difference. Okay. Beforehand, understand Yolvison, and even mm -hmm. when Brody was there the first year, it, they did not embrace analytics. And mm -hmm. again, it goes back to the Wilpons meddling and constantly being involved in the organization where they look at it and mm -hmm. they want things to do the right way. They hire people and they say, listen, we're going to hire you. You do this well. I want it done this way. Brody is a, a young agent who embraces analytics, and that is the way the game is going. You look at all the teams that are successful. They use analytics one way or another, and, and at least in terms of drafting and scouting players, use a bit, use a lot of their the tools and a lot of the stats they use are based around analytics. And the Mets, for a long time, did not embrace it, did not want to use it. They wanted to scout in their own way and do it their way, the old school way, which is what they were used to doing. They're not ready to change and embrace change. Now it's slowly happening. It is slowly happening, but it's coming to a halt, and that's why you see the difference. So if you want to get on the Wilpons for that, I completely agree with you, and I they deserve in nothing August, but blame. In August, they fired their head director of pro scouting. Okay. And okay. That, that, that's because they stink at it. So they've is been that, is horrible that a good thing? at it. What? So is that a yes, good thing? Yes, that, that is a good thing. What I'm saying is they've been horrible about it all these years. Their scouting has been horrible. So that, I mean, that was a very good sign. That's what I've been kind of hoping they would do. Are you talking about, well, oh, so I think we're talking also about, two, talking about two different things here. When you say scouting, are you talking about players and getting and developing young talent? Or are you talking about just everyday scouting, well, I think looking I, I, at other I, I teams think it's, and knowing I, I their think tendencies? It's, I, I think it's a combination of both those things. I think you have to do it, obviously, in developing players it's something. But also it's in understanding your opponent. I think that that could be done a lot better. And I think it goes to a lot of the things you were talking about. If they haven't embraced some of those things yet. And they're, they're starting to now, but, I mean, wake up. You know, that, 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 that to me was what, what – I'm just saying there's a clear difference between when I watched some of these other teams and when I watched the Mets. And, and, it, and that was kind of what I decided was that was one of the main issues in watching them this year. I mean, I, I'll say – You can see it with some of their it's, – it's just – look, this is my, my, my opinion. It's worth, you know, as much as anything else. But that to me is something that really bothered me. So I thought that was something good that they did. Because I started to notice that I said, you know, I don't know when this is going to change, 
and when they got rid of that I kind of developed a whole new I, I think that there's a way that they're starting to look at that that needs to change so that's good but for a long time they didn't do that yeah, I mean, hopefully change is coming. And again, that starts with Steve Cohen, hopefully for Mets fans' sake, taking control of the team. And I said, there's one sliver, there's one sliver of good news that at least, again, nothing's confirmed, but reports I've been reading that could possibly bode well for the Mets. And this is what I'll end on is this, is that some people speculate that this is a negotiating tactic by Steve Cohen where he's going to leave the Mets, leave this $2.6 billion offer, take it away, and – use this as a bargaining tool to basically gain full control as soon as possible and get the Wilpons out. Because there was some discussions that he was not already keen on the five-year right. control period where right. the Wilpons would have control for five years. Good. If you come in, he wants to do it right away. Good. Which, right, I'm, Mets yeah, fans, that is out. Tomorrow, we will. Yeah. Well, there should be a parade down the Kenya of Heroes. If Absolutely. he tomorrow announces he has full control of the Mets starting opening day, there will be a parade, and it will be one of the best days. It will legitimately go down. In one of the best days in Mets history, be a party, absolutely. And that is a hope that at least with this new, go you, you hope it's a negotiating tactic, and you hope it's a, maybe a ploy to allow him to get full control sooner rather than later, and really get his hands on this organization, bring some competency, and again, bring some cash flow as well. So keep you updated. Again, this is an ongoing story, so we'll keep you updated throughout the days and weeks leading up to this decision if Steve Cohen does back out or does venture take over the team. Uh, so we'll discuss that when we come back. Another. New York franchise has made a change, this time for the better. So the Mets maybe make it worse. One New York organization will make it better. We'll discuss that as well. And there was a poll on our social media. If you go to my Twitter, at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. You're excited for the XFL. We'll, we'll discuss this in a little bit here. Are you excited for the XFL? It starts this weekend. Uh, we'll discuss our excitement levels as well. When we come back, it is the Ryan Hickey, <laughs> the Ryan Hickey show. <laughs> it is. It basically is. Look, let's, let's not kid anybody around here, okay? I used to use it as a tagline when I used to like record practice monologues like years ago. I don't mm -hmm. know why that just came out uh, out of nowhere. I apologize. It is the Morning Boys with Ryan Icky and Mark Everkelly with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the morning, boys. Ryan Hickey, Mark Everett Kelly with you on this Thursday morning. A lot of depressing news this Thursday. I feel like we're, you know, we're, it's a pretty negative Thursday. Ugh. Well, I think February overall, look, this is what I, this is, this is what I don't like about February, okay? It's like in a month where we're supposed to be honoring uh, African Americans, it seems like uh, there's a lot of negativity with the month. Like, it's the shortest month. It's like a month that, you know, you have Valentine's Day, but it's not like it's, I guess maybe January could be worse because January is kind of like a just blah. You know, you got to go back to school after the holidays and always hated, hated January when I was a kid because that meant the end of Christmas vacation, you know, no more, no more looking forward to getting gifts, you know. But, um, but here's, here's something that I, I, I just kind of wanted to quickly throw in there. Because sure. I, when I started uh, my own podcast, I started doing podcasts in 2015. My very first podcast was done at the, I, I recorded it in February of 2015. Okay. And it was on the Kentucky Derby. And it was on a, the history of the Kentucky, because I wanted to honor a lot of the African-Americans that had, uh, that didn't get recognized. And the history of the Kentucky Derby is one that was dominated by African-Americans early on. Okay. Where they, they've won the majority of the races 
I think something like 80 something percent of, of the first like 30, 40 races. Interesting. Never in, knew that. Yeah. So that's um, a nice little tidbit right there. Okay. Um, but that, but it made sense because back then it was there were a lot of a, a lot of you know, uh, of the immigrants came over, kind of let the uh, their slaves take uh, 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 raise the horses, and then they were the ones that kind of when did them. when did the Kentucky Derby start? In, in like year? Uh, in late in the 1800s, yeah, late right? in the okay. late 1800s, yeah. So there was still a lot of that going on, and um, and a lot of the African Americans that uh, that would would take would take care of the horses, and then they would be the ones that ride it, and then they would be the ones that would be in the races, and they would be the ones that would win. Right. Okay. Um. So there were a lot. There were a lot of y of jockeys back then that really deserved uh, some of the credit. So that was one of the things that I I talked about uh, on my podcast. If I, you know, I'm I'm going to put that out uh, on our website. Okay. This, this month because uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of African Americans that paid they, they need to be paid homage to and a lot of the other sports that don't get recognized like uh, you know everybody knows about Jackie Robinson everybody knows ab about Muhammad Ali or the Jack Johnson you know maybe Jack Johnson isn't as well known but um, there's a lot in, uh, in in some of these other sports uh, that that I wanted to recognize so that's kind of what I what, what I what, what I did. But I always thought that was very interesting as far as horse racing because you don't think of horse racing as something uh, that really was something that you know African Americans dominated, but yeah. they did. They, interesting. they absolutely did. Interesting. That's yeah. So worldartsportsradio.com. Look for that article. What in a few weeks or is this not this week, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll you know when I go home tonight, I'll okay. I'll, 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 I'll put it out there. But so yeah, it's I, definitely something that I, I think needs to be honored. There's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that have that have that have given to their sport, um, you know, during this month that we we honor some of the the greatest athletes to be part of American sports, uh, which is our African American athletes, you know, right. guys like Jesse Owens and Jackie Robinson, and, you know, Magic Johnson, or you know, some of these pioneers. There were pioneers in other sports too that didn't get recognized. That's kind of why, um, so I talked about that very first podcast. It's funny because it just just seemed very fitting. But again, February is just a a month where you're just kind of you always seem to be waiting for something else. And that next thing is, I guess the next big moment is the March Madness, which uh, if you kind of paid attention to college basketball, it's totally upside down this year. It is. So I, that'll be a fun, that's going to be a fun, really fun, you know, few weeks for sure. Cause like, you're right. It's, there's no dominant team. It's yeah. every time someone gets to number one, they lose. Yeah. There's tons of upsets, already more upsets over top 10 teams. Already this point, we're still a month ago mm -hmm. than it's ever happened in any year. So yeah. it's, it's wild. It is so much fun. I would definitely dive into that as well. Yeah, we can do maybe like a pin the tail on a donkey type of uh, like NCAA tournament bracket. Okay, yeah. let's do it. Where we kind of, I mean that that's such a what it's going to be, right? It's just close your eyes, pick a team, and I mean you honestly have a great chance because right now there's like I said, it's just been all all around just a mess. But I think the chaos has been good for sure, and it definitely will provide a really really fun tournament in about a month or so for sure. Uh, we do have some positive news though to go. We obviously we just talked about. With the Mets and their ownership debacle and obviously the Red Sox trading Mookie Betts, it's been a lot of negativity. We do some positivity, and that is also located right here in New York with the basketball franchise of the New York Knicks. Because finally, Mark, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a chance that maybe things can finally turn around. Finally, they can get back to relevancy and maybe just once have consistent winning basketball. And here's why. Steve Mills, president of basketball operations, was fired on Tuesday. Now, you can make fun of the Knicks for the timing-wise, two days before the trade deadline. Why now? I'm better with it because, to, to be honest, at this point, he was just so bad in his role, and he's been with the Knicks for such a long time, different roles, 
He's been a leech. He's been a sycophant to James Dolan, and I, he's been with sycophant. I love it. You like Holy that? Holy cow! That is a uh, SAT word, I believe. Right? Sycophant. Wow. Sycophant. All right, two claps, two claps. We'll take it. Um, <laughs> give me a golf clap on that <laughs> But he, he's been, you know, an underlying factor, one of the biggest factors in the Knicks' demise. You look at it since he's been in his role as a president. Or, so he's been with the Knicks for seven seasons since coming back the second time as a president or GM. The Knicks are 178-365. You know what that is, Mark? The worst record of any basketball team in that stretch. And, again, you can point a lot to James Dolan, but Mills has made a career of hiring people, coach, uh, signing players, drafting players, and then when they don't work out, going to James Dolan and blaming someone else. Blaming the head coach, blaming the draft pick, blaming the GM. And time after time after time, he has survived despite – producing nothing of positive note, bringing no good energy and nothing of note to the Knicks to benefit them on the court. And finally, the Knicks rid themselves. And this is why I think they finally have a chance to turn around. Because now, with an open president of operation, uh, open president position, they've, uh, they, the big name they're talking about is Masai Ujiri, the Raptors GM. Probably, we'll see if it happens, probably, maybe not. But the good news that I like, at least with the Knicks targeting him, is that they are looking for a guy, at least a candidate early on they're looking for, is someone that's established, that's a team builder, right? They need someone that can come in that's experienced, that has dealt with rebuilding teams, and can come in here and basically tell James Dolan, let me do my job, right? If they hire another inexperienced, either manager, GM, or just someone with inexperience that isn't able to stick up to James Dolan, isn't able to make decisions for himself, I don't, this, the Knicks won't turn around. It'll be the same thing. It'll be fired in two years, and they'll be restarting again. The good news is at least – what I like is that at least if they hire – and there's been some names, you know, Sam Presti in Oklahoma City, or Michael Winger with the Clippers, Neil Shea in Portland. Like some of the guys that are at least rumored to possibly be candidates, who knows if they'll take it or not, but to be candidates, they all have a common quality, and that is they've built teams, they have success in their organizations, and at least that they have the authority and the autonomy to make moves, which is – that has to be the, f- the forefront, right, Mark? I think that's yeah. the, the first quality that we have to talk about now, who's hired. You have to give them authority and autonomy to do their jobs. And so far, no, you know, re- no real coach or GM has had the ability to do that. Obviously, we know James Dolan always has his hands um, in the batter, I guess, if you want to say, for lack of a better term. Always kind of kind of like the Wilpons, always meddling, always putting his opinion and his thought process out there. The Knicks need to hire someone if they are able to do this. Hire someone, they give them full autonomy, full ability to make personnel decisions, make the head coaching hire. Because that's another thing, too. If you hire someone with a credible resume as a GM, right, that will make it easier to hire a head coach of some credibility. Because what head coach, you look at in the NBA, the Knicks are going to have to obviously make, a, make a, GM, uh, a head coaching hire as well. What head coach with any sort of gravitas, any sort of success in the past will want to come to New York? David Fisdale. Had some success in Memphis, out in a year and a half. You had Jeff uh, Hornacek, out quickly. Like Mike Dan- like the Knicks have had a history of running their coaches out, and they have yet to been able to get jobs after that. So what head coach will take that job knowing, I'll probably be out in two or three years. A lot of it will be out of my control. I'll have no roster to win with, but the exp- expectations will still be very high. And again, I'll be canned in two or three years, have a bad stand on my resume, and – Obviously, Fisdale, it's, it's close. He hasn't really gotten a chance to get a head coaching opportunity. But you look at past head coaches of the Knicks, they have not gotten their chance to become head coaches again. And I, I don't think that it's a, a coincidence at all. Like the, I mean, it's just like the Knicks have just put that stain 
on the organization, on, on coaches and GMs that have success other places that come here, it's been a nightmare. So if you can hire someone with credibility that has proven to be a winner somewhere else, and in, in this in terms of Sam Presti, Neil O'Shea, John Horst, who's in, in Milwaukee, the Bucks, these are guys that have built their teams through the draft, mm. which is what you want. Right, because yeah, that, that's the Knicks aren't going to sign any big time free agents until they have a core. Doesn't seem like anybody wants to come here. Why would? But why would they? You need to have a core. Again, we we just discussed this at large when we first saw the show back in October, discussing how the Nets were able to lure Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to Brooklyn, and that's because they built a young core. They had a sustainable future, and they saw this. We are just one or two pieces away from exploding. The Knicks don't have that. They're not one or two pieces away. They need to build a young core through the draft, and from there. That will entice free agents to come. So if they can do that, if they hire someone who has success in the past of drafting well, developing players well, more importantly, they have a chance. So this is why I hope with this move, the Knicks finally, 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 finally are in heading in a step in the right direction. Yeah, you hope so. I mean, they, they've done nothing right. No. Can you, can you name something they've done right in the last 20 years? Um... They were able to get the third lottery spot on a total random draw this year instead of, you know, I stand, I stand corrected. <laughs> so luck for once benefited them outside of that mark. No, I can't tell you anything. I mean, even if Porzingis trade was a disaster, they, they thought they were getting something with Smith and then they got a couple first round draft picks. But, you know, even looking at their the, the situation with their 2023 first round pick with Dallas. The, the param- good, it's parameters of it makes right. no sense. Yeah, so, yeah, I, 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 they have to They're rebuild through the draft. Picks. Yeah, they have to rebuild through the draft. Well, they have a lottery pick you figure in 2021. No, I mean, with, with yeah. the Mav, like w- with that trade with the Mavericks, they get two first round picks. Yeah, they're not like you see already how Doncic and Porzingis right. are like. They're not going to be anywhere close to the top. Right. Yeah, they're going right. to be in you're the playoffs. Right. They're going to be playing yeah. basketball in May and April. How good is Donnie? Great. Oh, oh. Thank God. Yeah, so. But to your point, right, the Knicks – I'll take that back. The Knicks did do something right. They drafted Chris Stapps. Yeah, they did. A very unpopular yeah. pick at the time. Phil Jackson, his only really shining moment of his entire tenure with the Knicks, one drafting a guy moment. that no one really knew about, came in yeah. to be a superstar. He and was. guess what happened, Mark, as you know. They drove him Hit out. Hit the bricks, pal. Exactly. And they were so dysfunctional, didn't have a plan where this guy said, get me out of here. Yeah. And now get you see what happens. Get me out of here, like Bugs Bunny when he's hanging off the, the, the moon with Marvin Martian hanging out of his feet. Yeah, no, I, seriously. So that's why I'm, I'm hoping that at least that if you get a established, qualified general manager in the building that can act as either the GM and the president or just the president, but can finally for once instill some stability and competency and agree to terms. I mean, yeah. it's going to come down to how much autonomy James Dolan Well, yeah, it's got to be a guy with like that, though. Because, I mean, Dolan, yeah. Dolan, like, it's, seriously, what I would tell, and it's hard, hard to tell a guy who owns a team, is, but it's like, look, you just go and, and you – have your fun, go on your vacations, play in your rock band, whatever. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I'll talk to you in playoff time. But you li- leave me be, I'll run your whole organization, and you will be much better off in a year than you are right now if you allow me to make the decisions. There are guys out there that can do that. You look at how the Bucks have been rebuilt and the Warriors we rebuilt, and so many of these teams were rebuilt that way through the draft. They didn't just happen to sign LeBron James. You right, know? The Clippers just hap- didn't yeah. happen to sign Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, okay, Paul's wow. Right. I wonder why they're good. Yeah, they I mean, built yeah. a core. They did it the right way. And to your point, right, that's how, they, that's how it's done in the NBA. You don't just sign players of free agency, go crazy, and all of a sudden, yeah, you have championship teams. 
So you have to build to the draft. And to your point, let James Dolan just let the people he hires do their job. You know what's funny though is like, remember how bad like how bad the Celtics were like the Patino years and then and then all of a sudden they make that trade with Garnett and then they're good for you know they win what one title they went to two finals. What, yeah, um, I mean, one of the most that, overrated teams. I mean, but that that was one of the things that I, that the, I've never kind of seen that before. Is like a team that was totally lost just looks into it. They didn't really look into it, but they just have these players drop in their lap. Like, okay, well, you got Garnett, you got Ray Allen, and you got Paul Pierce. That's pretty right. good. Ray John Rondo was young at the time. Yeah, like right. Like, yeah, so right. they, they, they happen to have right. a, a couple of young players that could fit into that. Right. You know, because you've seen so far that, you know, with the, with the Cavaliers, you had LeBron James and then kind of a bunch of role players, but never, you know, Kyrie, what he developed into, yes, but when he was there, kind of always kind of second fiddle, and then, they, you know, you got Kevin Love, and, they added a little bit, but it's not like they had these great players around them that they, you know, that the the, the Celtics had in place, you know, because the Celtics had a lot of good young players that were ready um, when they made those trades. But again, I don't know. It, it it's the same thing with these New York teams. You just don't get the feeling that there's any competency, and that's what's most disappointing. Is we're that? So, yep. Sorry, I mean no, no, no. Uh, no you but you're in this environment. You're in. Look for a long time. And especially here, okay, New Yorkers are very, very important to them that their sports teams do well. They wear their sports teams on their sleeve, okay? We, in New York, you have the Yankees, obviously, and they're kind of like the, the hierarchy, okay, of if there is a, uh, if there is a, a, a I guess, a, a, a mountain that we're going to, you know, show faces of, you know, um, What's that? that uh, Mount, Rushmore. Mount Rushmore of New York. The Yankees would be probably all four faces. I was just going to say, at this okay? point, they might be yeah. the I mean, only ones. Maybe the early 80s Islanders would have like half a face, okay? Because they won four cups in a row. But there haven't been much, many consistent winners in New York. The Giants won four Super Bowls. They could, they'd probably own their way out. The Jets certainly haven't. But the, Knicks, the Giants, they've been dysfunctional the last few years as well. Like they're, yeah. they're not immune to it as well. It's happened and right. it's taken over their franchise the last three or four or five years. Right, and they certainly before that. Yeah, before they, they had their run, but you know they, they were bad. But the Knicks last won a title in 73. They've only won two titles, okay, 70, 73, and they've been around since the, the beginning of time, okay? I think Jesus was, was a Knicks fan. <laughs> Jesus and then, was their first yeah, overall draft pick. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I know. That, that, was, that was pretty good. Um, but then you had... The Mets, they've had they've won one World Series since 1969. That was in 86. The Jets have not been to the Super Bowl since the merger, which was 1968 season, 69. Okay? And then the Islanders are kind of like, it, it, generally that's how the, the rooting goes if you're a Knicks fan. I mean, if you're a Mets fan, you're an Islander fan, and you're a Jet fan. And normally the Yankees, Rangers, and, and, Giants. and Giants, okay? And then the Knicks are kind of, they, they you know, nobody really grew up a Net fan, even though I've met more Net fans as I've gotten older. But the Knicks were kind of like the one thing that kind of brings everyone together. Yep. Okay? Um, the Rangers are in that, the, the Met-Jet category of one Stanley Cup since 1940. You know, so the Yankees and the Giants really have, been the most successful of any of these New York franchises in the last 30 years. If you combine the titles, you know, since the Islanders won their four cups, if you combine the titles since then, that don't include the Yankees and the Giants, you have the Mets in 86, you have the Rangers in 94, and that's it. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, to your, and this is why it's so important to get this hire right. Because to your point, New York is thirsting 
thirsting yeah. for a championship. I mean, you don't remember the years of the 90s. No. You know, that, that was awesome, okay? Going to Nick Games in the 90s was awesome. So you can answer this question. Is that happening? I'm sick and tired because I see people now like are, are trying to say New York is not a basketball town. The Knicks oh are my God. relevant. When the Knicks are good, what, what is like? Oh, my God. Are they the number one team oh, yeah. in New York? Uh, well, I, I, look, Close? But for, for that time period, okay, when the Knicks were, were winning in the 90s, like when they were the Jordan years, and like, in the, look, I was at that game six, okay? 1993, game six of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Knicks had the best record in the East that year. They were 16-22. That was Riley's second year with the team, okay? Uh, and, you know, Charles Smith missed those shots. I was at, that, that was the most exciting event I'll ever go to. Okay. Okay, like, I, you, we couldn't hear ourselves during the opening uh, lineups when, you know, and now, please welcome your, your, you know. Like, all of us had it down. That's what all of us would do. Like, like everybody knew, like, John, start. Everybody, everybody knew how to do that. Mm -hmm. That guy was, was a legend, okay? And then, you know, it, it, seeing the players' names and the whole light system, and you see, like, Doc, Doc Rivers was on that team, and, you know, Hubert Davis was, like, in his second year, and, and Ewing, and, you know, Mason and Oakley and all that. Like, that was so exciting, being at that game. And it was, like, it was so loud, and it was so much fun, and that was kind of the playoff environment. Playoff environment was night and day from regular season. You go to oh a playoff yeah. game, it is night and day, and it is so exciting, okay? So that was what it was like. It was like, look, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, an idea of how big it was, okay? Because everyone knows about the Boston Garden, okay? Everybody, you know, Boston Garden was where the Celtics played, and it was, you know, Larry, the home Larry Bird had, and the Celtics had 16 titles, you know, at, at the Boston Garden, you know, and that, that closed down kind of like in the late 90s, you know. And so and I remember on a TNT playoff basketball telecast one time, Kenny Smith was talking with Ernie Johnson, okay, on t you know, that, that the guys that were still there. And Kenny Smith's a New York guy, okay, mm -hmm. he went to high school in New York. And so they were talking about the garden, and Ernie Johnson was kind of referring to Madison Square Garden. And so Kenny Smith stopped him. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's only one garden in basketball, and that's Madison Square Garden. Right. When you talk about the garden. And I think that's how it was viewed. The garden was the place to be then. You know, it, it, even if you're a high school kid, if you're a Big East basketball, like there was so much around the garden in New York City that was basketball. And that, that has absolutely disappeared, starting with, the, God knows who's even in the Big East anymore, um, you had a point where you had Iverson, you had Ray Allen, you had all these guys coming through, you know, uh, the Big East. Uh, the biggest tournament was at the, the Garden every year, you know. So it was like so much to, to, to enjoy in New York and when, when the Knicks were good. And that, that just has kind of all gone away. And it, I've never been alive where the Jets have been that good. I mean, 98 was the only year that I was, uh, that I was really, that they really were a big deal. You know, where you felt confident and then going into 99 that they were going to be one of the best teams in football. Mm -hmm. And then 99 fell apart when Tessa, you know, in the second quarter when Tessa Verde tore his Achilles. So it, that was the only time I've experienced with the Jets. The Giants have owned the, the town when they've been in the Super Bowl. You know, they, they won two. And even the Giants in the 80s, uh, mid, to eight, mid to late 80s with, with um, Lawrence Taylor and those guys, that was, it was a, 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 the Giants, it was their town kind of. The Rangers, they, look, when the Rangers won the Stanley Cup, that was like nothing I've ever – these people were, were like – they lost their minds, okay? I remember being in a bar that night, 
you know, that, that's when I was, what, 20, 21, okay? Um, that was something I, like, I'll, I'll never experience something like that again. You had Ranger fans. Like, I remember, like, guys running across the street to get to their car, and, like, if you screamed Rangers out of the car, the guy would stop, like, right in the middle of the street and start, you know, and, like, give you a, you know, scream or, or wave to you or something like that. It was just out of control, okay? Um, that type of thing happens when New York teams win. And it, it's been so long since any of that's happened. And it's been so long since we've had a dominant New York team outside the Yankees, obviously, because the Yankees are always in the playoffs. But, and it'd be nice to have confidence in your organization. I remember how confident I was that year when you had Parcells and Belichick and Charlie Weiss. And, I mean, it was like I, I was rooting for another, you know, it was like I, I had no idea. I was so weird. <laughs> I never experienced that before. I'm like, wait a minute. And this isn't supposed to happen to me. A small taste of it. Yeah, like very tiny, and then Parcells quits. It was like, nah, we can't have that. Now we're the Jets. Wait a minute, guys. Let's let's look around what we're doing here. We could be winning. Nah, that can't happen. Can't happen. Can't happen. Let's let's bring Herm Edwards. No, nah, nah, I love Herm Edwards, but yeah, he wasn't. He's not a Parcells. But yeah, so you're right. But you're right. It's it's just so frustrating. It's so downtrodden. Like, there's no w- like New York. To your point. Can be a great place when you Oh, win. absolutely. Can be a great, great place. And even Sh- like the Mets. Like, when the Mets made the playoffs in 2015, that place was what was insane. Like, when Cespedes hit that home run off of Alex Wood that he hit to, like, Nassau County. Yeah. You know, there's someone in Nassau County who's getting a ball to yeah. their, off their roof. Like that someone was in a, space who got the bat. Uh, yeah, I, I remember watching. I was up, up, I was in my house watching that game. When he hit that home run, like, I leaped out of my seat. Like, and, and just, like, everyone was – and you say, like, Chris Rock was at the game. Seinfeld was at the game. Like, it was a happening. Even a World Series games. Yeah. You know, like, that was – that's just a small snippet of what it could be like. Yep. Okay. Which makes it all the more frustrating when right. you have teams that have competent or uh, uh, incompetent um, um, ownership. Right. Imagine if the Knicks were, spending. were in the playoffs now. Imagine if they were as good as, like, the Lakers or, like, you would have – so many, so much being built around, like ESPN, they, they don't give a no, crap nor about they. New York. Nor should they. Yeah, they're like, what the next? What the, why would we even waste our time? And right. that was so opposite of what it used to be. You know, the NBA and NBC and kind of, you know, Bill Walton and Tom Hammonds and, you know, Sneep Snapper Jones, like, doing the games. You know, I think of the game, like, when Larry Johnson hit that three-pointer against Indiana, like, that, those were games, like, you never forget that. There's games that you know you, you were just inspired by and, and loved it, and it, it's not that way anymore. No, it, so it's I, not I don't, that way. I, I don't know what to say. But you know, look, it, it, even being a Jet fan, too, uh, the only experience I have with that was in 98. I went to see them play when they played the Jaguars in the divisional round. And, I mean, when you're talking about, like, you know, fans that were ready to, you know, like kind of like storm the castle and, and, and you know, get to fit the, the – the, the pitchforks and fire, like it, that's what Jet fans were ready to do. Like Jet fans are are, are there, like they're, they're standing at the gate, kind of waiting to do that, like, and they haven't been able to do it since. Like just be able to celebrate and kind of, you know, burn the place down and like kind of let all their frustrations over the last 50 years kind of go and be able to have a team that, that wins, experience that, that, that feeling that they haven't been able to. Very short time. You know, so I, I, I think there's so many of, of that that, you know, so many of these fans that are waiting to experience that. And, you know, who knows when it'll happen again. But. Who knows? We have a chance. I think we do have a chance, to be honest, as Knicks fans. If, again, if they hire the right general manager or, or president to then put the right head coach in place to get everything, there, there's a chance. But, again, it starts with James Dolan. Just 
being hands out for the Eagles, you see the Rangers. The Rangers, despite yeah. not winning a lot, right. and you know, are a competent organization. They're never in the news for a bad reason. And at least now you see the turn they have. They have they have a plan in place. He hire uh, Dolan hires presidents, general managers, coaches, lets them do it, and fine. And the Rangers have been pretty successful. You kind of wish he didn't care about basketball the way he doesn't care about right. hockey. Right, right. I mean, who knows how good the Knicks could be if that was the case. So it all starts with James Dolan, but at least for once, with Steve Mills being fired, the Knicks have a chance to turn around, be competent, and finally maybe be competitive on a consistent level for once. If you want to give us a call, 845-478-3272. It's 845-478-3272. We go to Nithin in New Jersey. Nithin, you're on the Morning Boys. How are you this morning? Hey, good morning, guys. How are you doing? Good, how well, are you? We're doing pr- pretty terribly, considering <laughs> we're the show. All, all negativity we're spewing here. but Yeah, we're sitting no, on the couch. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a New York guy. Knicks fan also. I'm a big fan of the Knicks, and uh, today is a big day for us. I, I, I think we need to uh, clean house here and trade. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying trade the whole team. I'm just saying trade the veteran players and then start playing the young players because at this point, the season is a lost cause for us. And um, to be honest, uh, first of all, for this Knicks team to change and be a, a, a winner again, I think – I think James Dolan needs to sell the team pretty soon himself. He needs to say to himself, uh, this team is not going to win until I sell the team. So some, at some point, he needs to start realizing that James he, and himself, he needs to start realizing that I need to sell the team and give it to someone else and help them uh, win, the, win, win in, the, in the city again. Because I feel like next year, all the talk will go to the Nets because of KD coming back and Kyrie coming back too. So I feel like the Knicks need to clean house here. And my top, my top two candidates for president right now is Sam Presti and Messiah Jury because they, they do a great job uh, with their uh, teams, uh, with the Raptors and the OKC Thunder, and they build the right way, and they're all about winning. And I feel like obviously it's going to be tough to get both of them because they're under contract. So I feel like uh, those are the two top choices. But if not, I've been hearing on Twitter that – uh, Rich Hyman is a candidate. Rich Paul might be a candidate, and they might go to the agent route. But uh, but to the trade deadline, real quick, um, I th- I can see them trading Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Dennis Smith, and I can see them trading uh, Todd Gibson. And uh, well, I just want to get your take on all the points I just uh, pointed uh, put out, put out. Uh, a lot going on there, Nathan. Um, we appreciate the thank call. Thank you for your call, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll. Uh, so we'll, we'll go on back. We'll, we'll reverse it or address it going backwards. I hope for, I'm with you on all those guys. Maybe I, I'm still kind of – I still have hope in Dennis Smith just because he's young. Um, but I'm with you. Marcus Morris has to go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely has to go without a doubt. If they fail to move him, again, another stain on the Knicks organization. You can get a first-round pick. There's, there's draft uh, or there's interest in there, especially from the both L.A. teams. You can you have a chance to get a lot back or a decent return back, I should say, for Marcus Morris. I'm with. I don't know if they'll be able to trade Portis or or Taj Gibson. I mean, the Rockets need a center, so I, mean, I don't know how much you can get back for that. But I'm with you because you trade those guys. To your point, that's what the Knicks would drives me crazy. Also, with the Knicks this year, with their offseason, they sign all these veteran players. It is keeping the young players on the bench. You need players like Mitchell Robinson to develop. Mm-hmm. He was drafted as a second round rounder last year as a developmental project. You need to put him on the court. You need to let him play. Even Kevin Knox. It draw, I like Kevin Knox a lot, and I still have some high hopes for him. He's struggled. But the part of the struggle is he's not playing. They're not putting him in positions to succeed. When you're playing 10 minutes a night and you miss two shots, all of a sudden you're on the bench for guys like Marcus Morris and Taj Gibson, it drives you crazy. You know what you have in Taj Gibson. You know what you have in Bobby Portis. There's, nothing, there's zero reason for them to be playing legitimate minutes. 
But night in and night out, they're on the starting lineup. You have Elvin Payton as a starter. These guys don't and should not be playing. Because guess what? Sure, they make the Knicks maybe a 20-win team instead of a 15-win team this year. What good does that do? You need guys like Frank Nielakina to develop. He's really good defensively. He has, I still, again, I like Frank Nielakina. To me, I don't see enough of him. He doesn't play enough. He doesn't play consistent enough. His offensive game is what a lot of Knicks fans complain about. Part of that is because he's not in a consistent rhythm. He doesn't play. Let guys like Kevin Knox figure it out. Let him shoot out of his slump. Don't, you, you can't get into rhythm. You can't find your identity on the floor. You can't work on your skills when you're playing 10, 15 minutes a night. 18 in minutes favor a game. Of, right, yeah. in favor of older players that are a dead end. Reggie Bullock playing more minutes than him. Right, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and it drives me crazy. And that is, I, I'm hoping things will change at the deadline, but I'm, I don't have much confidence outside of Marcus Morris moving that a lot of these guys will, will play. And again, Marcus Morris has been a great player this year. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's that, but I mean, is it worth at the cost of old. Kevin Knox no. sitting on the – to your point, right. And not to mention, too, these late in-game situations, all those veterans on the floor. And they lose most of the games anyway. How are any of these young players supposed to develop, learn in the moment, and actually grow and learn? You mentioned two names. I'm with you in terms of general manager with Sam Presti and Masai Ujiri. Masai Ujiri is going to be a, a Hail Mary. I'm not sure. I'm with you there. He's the number one guy. What he's built in Toronto and has sustained, obviously getting Kawhi Leonard, winning a championship, and then having a better record this year than they do the last year at this point, it's interesting. I'm not sure he would leave, but obviously if you can get him, absolutely do it. Sam Presti the same thing. You look at what Sam Presti's done in Oklahoma City. I mean, obviously you draft Russell Westbrook. You draft Kevin Durant. And James when you Harden. lose both of those guys, yeah, yep, you're right, James Harden, you're right. And when you lose those guys, at least with Harden, you trade him, but at least with Kevin Durant, he leaves to go to free agency. You have Russell Westbrook there. You realize we're at a dead end here. You trade him, get a ton, mm -hmm. a ton of picks back, yeah. and now they have a promising young point guard, yeah. Jay Gales Alexander, and they have a young core developing, and now if they trade Danilo Gallinari, you have more draft capital. They're playing yeah, the long know. game. Can you believe, like, I one know. time he, yeah, I mean, come on. He was the next, he was the guy, he was the next guy. But, the, the, but that's – so at least, like, with the route that the Knicks, I hope they go down in terms of experienced general manager and some of the names that are being rumored out that already are in place, do it through the draft and developmental, which is what the Knicks have to do. I, don't, I hope they don't go the agent route. You said, you know, Rich, Rich Paul, I hope they don't go that route. To me, that would be a disaster. Because if they put someone that has no front office experience in there, I just think, it'll be, again, it will be rinse and repeat, right? Two years we'll be talking about this again, Mark. Two yeah, years in the morning, boys, wherever we are, <laughs> whatever time slot we're we'd in, be, we'd be doomed. We'll yeah. be talking the same thing. Oh, Rich Paul, what a disaster. Yeah. Oh, a mess. Two years <laughs> later, let's, let's restart. What now a the disaster. Knicks, now yeah. the Knicks have a chance, finally. It's going to be every. It's gonna be this cycle over and over again. But here's just one thing I, I don't agree. Like, I don't think it will ever happen is Dolan selling the team. That's not going to happen. I, I unfortunately, yeah. I agree. It's not going to happen. Because it's just like Wilp, the bullpunks. Right. To your point, they don't, the owners don't care about winning. They could say that. Maybe they do. Maybe uh, – James don't Owen say Jeff Wilpon cares no. about winning. <laughs> Maybe James Owen actually does want to win because he, he does, at least to his credit, want to spend money. He doesn't have the money to spend on big players who they don't want to come here. Right. But he's not shy about doling out the big bucks, getting Phil Jackson yeah. here, getting doing something to put the team in position to win. I just don't think he'll go to the extent of selling the Knicks. Uh, I think that's where, you know, it's a pipe dream. But you hope they, that at least he just lets the people he hires do the right they, job. They had one year with the Knicks that I was – that I – because I have kind of you know, forgotten about them. Uh, but one year I came back was when they had, uh, you know, Jason Kidd was on the team, and they had uh, Tyson Chandler, and they had J.R. Smith, and uh, who's the guy that would stand out there and shoot threes, the white guy. And then he did Steve Novak. Yeah. 
Celtics. So they were the 20, I think 2012, 2013. Yeah, game. they won the division. They beat the Celtics yep. in the first round. Uh, they had, you know, and then they're playing the Pacers in the second round. They went up losing in six games. But that was, that was, the Garden was back for that year. Okay, you remember the excitement a little bit in that, in that playoff series. And then in the second round, that was kind of the one year it was back. And guess what, Mark? It's not been back since. Yeah. But you know what I didn't get? Like, they had Layton. It's Scott Layton. Or not Scott Layton. The, um, it's his father. The one that kind of built the whole Pacers organization. Um, he came to the Knicks in, like, 2011. And then he wound up, uh, and then he wound up leaving. Not, not, not Layton. I'm uh, blanking as the, well. The guy who was with uh, Indiana. Um, the GM for Indiana. But, you know, I'm going to have to look it up. All right. How about we'll take a quick break. We'll look yeah. it up. And when we come back, uh, we'll, we'll finish that thought. Um, and the XFL. Uh, I'm interested because Mark, Mark has an interesting perspective on the XFL and it could, if it could work or not, what your excitement level is. If you're on Twitter, if you could quickly vote in our poll, uh, Twitter on the, at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Are you excited about the XFL? We have some votes ready. We'll discuss um, what the people on Twitter are saying as well. Um, your excitement about the XFL when we come back. It is the Morning Boys, Ryan Hickey, Mark Evertel with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys, Ryan Hickey, Mark Evertel with you for just about another half hour until the haystack takes over then. We do appreciate you tuning in. It's been a sort of a... done from ACDC to this. <laughs> we're, we're, we're grooving here. You're not feeling it? Jeez, music critic here. <laughs> Holy cow. Mark complaint. There it is. There's the complaint. There's the complaint of the day. Uh, it took it. two and a half hours to get to. We're almost done with the show, but finally Mark <laughs> throws his shade on something he delivers on the show. So later than normal, but finally we got to use these in the first two minutes. Um, if you want to give us a call, 845 845- Four seven eight three two seven two eight four five four seven eight three two seven two. The NBA trade deadline is today. Is today. Well, we'll do before we get here. Do want to commend the, the Grizzlies on what they what they were able to do. But Mark, I kind of want to talk about the XFL here because it's it's coming. It is it is finally coming here. Um, starts on Saturday. New league. So right at the Super Bowl, boom! A uh, brand new league. Obviously, we saw. This is the second version of a, uh, the XFL. You were around for the first version. We saw the AAF, at least with my experience with other football leagues outside the NFL. I've only been able to witness the AAF, which was a disaster and folded in season last year. So you saw both the USFL and the XFL. So before we start, I'm just curious, like, what, what is your excitement level? Because you've seen what football outside the NFL looks like and what it's like to be successful. So do you think the XFL, second time around, can also be a success and kind of build a market? I think the first time around, it, it, look, it's interesting, okay? I think the, everything that they've, they're doing is interesting, where they had the players, you know, put their nicknames on the back of their jerseys. You know, he hate me. Uh, right. got Rod Smart, or I think the guy's name, right? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Um, and some of the innovations they did as far as the cameras were very, very interesting. But y- you just can't, you can't have a – a camera in the huddle. You can't have uh, the uh, a- analyst questioning the coach during the like, game. Some of the things that went on, it was just it was like a wrestling match. You know, well, so it's not a wrestling. Like it's still football. Like it, there's still got to be some kind of legitimacy to it. And I think there was too much of a show that was put on. Is it's just like kind of entertainment, not a sport. But and I think 
Okay. So I know honestly, doesn't that ha- like doesn't have to be like that? Because the AF, at least for example, was football, right? It was strictly right. football. Right. It didn't make it past week mm-hmm. seven or something like that. Right. But then, but, but you're not good at. Look, you can get away with it in wrestling, okay? Um, because it's like you know two man, four man, you know whatever. But you can't get away with it in football. But didn't they already get away with it already? Like when the XFL first debuted, like that was a like but the NFL was legitimately concerned. Were they? If, yeah, depending I, I on what you know. hear, sabotaged the XFL and the and the the, um, the TV rights and yeah, the broadcast. What, what would the NFL be concerned about if it was just basically a show? Like if it wasn't, you know, I mean, they're not going to hire around hire any legit NFL guys. Like I think if you're a coach, you want to coach, and you want to coach with the fact that okay, well, this is the way I coach football. This is what we need to do to win that type of thing. And if it turns into just a broadcast of kind of like predetermined what was going to happen, it, you know. It's not. It's not going to be very successful. You can't do that with football, uh, or at least when you're paying known football guys, guys that have you know NFL guys, guys that kind of grew up around the system of the NFL and expect it to be something successful. All right. Where I I still don't know what the there look. There are people who are always going to watch football. I think there's going to be some sort of excitement level as there was. You know, when it first started. Back in, what, 2003, I think, or 2002 was the season, 2004, I forget, what one of those years. Um, it had, like, record-breaking numbers its first weekend, and it, I, I think there could there's a market for it because people are always going to want to watch football. But I don't know. I, I, I think they're better off staying small. If you have eight teams, you don't go beyond that. I think what they try to do is build it into this incredible – and it will, it will never be. You cannot – Compete that way and stay active because there's not going to be enough money. If you keep it small and you keep it like within budget, I think it could work. You have some breaking news, Mark. I apologize. I don't mean to throw this discussion off the rails. Do you want to hear? Wait, what we have is? breaking news. We have breaking news. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, wait. I know, but there's a little something wrong. Shouldn't breaking news happen in about 20 minutes? 11:02 is when the breaking news. It literally this dovetails perfectly with what we just discussed. The Knicks have made a hire for their president. Already. Do you want to know who it is? No. Okay. It well, of is course they do. <laughs> CAA player agent Leon Rose is now, as Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting, CAA is like, you know, obviously the agency yeah, which Brody came from as right. well on the Mets. Leon Rose, who is their player agent, is becoming, and now at least unofficially, at least Woj is reporting, will become the next New York Knicks basketball president of operations. So is this? This is interesting. Very good. I don't know yet. It's see, so he does rep Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Corrupts, Kyle Kuzma, and D'Angelo Russell. So these are the guys that so you could sign possibly because he has in, in, ends with them. Right. That I, I'm sure that was the motivation of why they wanted to do it. Now you heard even James Dolan say they don't want to take too long. Like Part of the reason why they maybe weren't going to even try for Masai Ujiri, they didn't want to wait till the end of the year. They want to get this done before the season ended. So now we'll see. Um, they hired, again, Leon Rose, player agent of CAA, to be the next Knicks head basketball op- of operations president. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little skeptical because we just discussed this. I mean, to me at least, you had to bring someone with a strong personality with a track record of success into this organization because this is a just – it's just dysfunctional all over the place. You know, you need someone that could strong arm James Dolan, has past history, and say, listen, this is how we do it in the past. This is how we're going to get it done. And basically let me control – I don't know how much Leon Rose is going to be able to come in there, demand uh, autonomy, and say, 
I, I mean, he has no track record of success. His biggest thing is he has connections to star players. And maybe that helps. I mean, maybe. Maybe that helps get some star players in there. But with all the dysfunction that constantly surrounds the Knicks, I'm not sure how this is going to work out in the benefit, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical moving forward. So I wanted – I was hoping for an established general manager to at least show direction, show the light, and show how things are done elsewhere and have a past record of success to kind of show the Knicks this is what we're trying to get. Instead – Again, they hire CAA agent Leon Rose to become the next president of basketball operations. Every rose has its thorn. Every rose has its thorn, and Leon now is going to yeah. be hopefully the rose for yeah. the New York Knicks and not the thorn. All right, so we, we were talking about old school leagues, leagues that have de- been developed to kind of I, – I don't, I, I don't want to say the XFL was built to rival the NFL because it's not. And I don't think any league right now can come out and – and challenge the NFL because it's just way too much money and the NFL is so far and ahead of the game uh, that I, I don't think you can actively compete with the NFL. It's certainly not where you're going to use a lot of teams to do it. So I, I think that if the XFL comes in and they're able to um, watch kind of what they spend, not look, the, the we, we, we talked about uh, kind of other, other football leagues. The reason why the USFL, I think, could have been successful and they were for about three years. Uh, was they played in the spring, and they had they got a lot of big name players to come and play in the league. Why they ultimately failed, obviously, is because they decided to take on the NFL. Donald Trump and company decided to take on the NFL and join and wanted to be a fall league and all that stuff. They never would that never was going to happen. You could, they could not compete with the NFL that way. If they would have stayed in the spring and they would have another thing they did is the expansion. Like because they needed money, they uh, they allowed new teams to come into the league because there was a fee, which they kind of needed that league money. But then teams were folding kind of halfway through the year, and then and then they were uh, combining in the offseason. So they, they, if they would have kept it small, and I, I think the owner of Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Bandits, and Steve Spurrier was head coach, I think uh, if they would have done things the way he wanted to, it kind of would have been a little bit better, where he had a system in place that wasn't really geared to spend a lot of money um, but just to keep the franchises uh, active and, and, and you know around to be able to steal guys when they wanted to, but not just an egregious amount of spending where they couldn't stay afloat. And it, w- it was around for three years. There's a lot of guys that wound up playing in the USFL that were in the NFL Hall of Fame. You think of guys like you know, Re- Reggie, uh, Reggie White. He was drafted by Memphis, uh, Memphis Showboats, and, and they had an advantage over the NFL in that day could draft underclassmen or they could sign underclassmen to deals where the NFL couldn't yet. Uh, that's what they did with Reggie White. That's what they did with, uh, you know, you, you had three straight years where they're, they're si- signing Heisman Trophy winners. You know, they signed Doug Flutie, they signed Russell Walker, and they signed um, Mike Rozier. Okay? Um, you didn't know. I remember the NFL, the 1984 NFL draft was diluted of talent because a lot of guys went to the USFL. You know, guys like Anthony Carter, who wound up having a, you know, a, a very good career with the Minnesota Vikings. He was a star at Michigan. Wound up, he was drafted by the Michigan Panthers. Uh, and then who wound up becoming the Oakland Invaders because, they, again, the franchise has moved around a little bit. Jim Kelly didn't want to play with Buffalo. Wound up going to Houston. Steve Young uh, with L.A. Uh, Jim Moore was one of the head coaches who wound up, he didn't win a playoff game in the NFL, but he was a pretty good NFL head coach. Um, you know, obviously, Herschel Walker, Brian Seip came over from the NFL to join the USFL. Bobby Hebert got his start 
with uh, the USFL, Abel wound up being the quarterback to turn the Saints around, gave them their first winning season. It became a playoff team with him. Uh, Kelvin Bryant was a very good running back for like the Redskins, uh, and, like a dual-purpose a, a dual guy, kind of like an Ernest Biner, um, you know, a, a, a lower-level Ernest Biner. Uh, Tremaine Johnson, a, a very good uh, uh, wide receiver. Sam Mills, very good linebacker, wound up dying way too early uh, for the, the Saints and, and Carolina Panthers. Uh, Gary Zimmerman, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of like a borderline Hall of Fame lineman. So there were a lot of uh, Jerry Holmes that wanted to believe in the Jets to play for the Generals. Um, there were a lot of guys. Ricky Sanders, the guy who was uh, on a Redskins uh, Super Bowl winning team, wide receiver. JoJo Townsell wound up having a career with the Jets, uh, was a wide receiver in that league. There were a lot of good players that went to the USFL, um, kind of, you know, learned how to play there or played for a year or so and I remember one of the greatest games I ever saw was a game between Houston and L.A., between Jim Kelly and Steve Young. That was like a 55-45 shootout. You know, like each, each quarterback threw for like 500 yards. It was an awesome game to watch. So that it, it was an entertaining league. Um, and if they would have stayed in the spring and not decided to do something stupid and challenge the NFL, and, you know, you could say what you want about Trump. I think that's what he wanted to do all along. Um, I, I thought that was a big mistake. I, I don't think that they should have done that. I think they could have existed. Uh, they wouldn't have, would have never been the NFL, but it would have been good. It right, would have been I mean something that would have had a fan base, and, and it would have grew. And who knows what could happen if they would have stayed around and stayed active for a couple of years and really developed some of the franchises and the communities. But they didn't. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm skeptical just because – like, well, first of all, I'll say this. I don't need football 24-7. Right, like, right, I, I right. think what makes football so enticing and, and so exciting is that it's the shortest, li shortest lifespan of yeah. any of the four major yeah. sports, right? Yep. So, obviously, you know, that's more in demand, supply and demand. People want more of it. Not, not that people will get tired of football. I just don't think, like, now we've had this great ending, great Super Bowl, mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes wins. Boom! Five days later, now we're talking like we're looking at a new football league with. You are looking live. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Outside, like they have some superstar coaches. You know, they have Bob Stoops coaching, Steve Spurrier coaching. Outside of that, Steve Spurrier. Like, are people going to care? He's coaching like watching? every league. I know. He he just can't. You know, it's like coaching. You can't stop. It's like a drug. You're addicted. You know, once, you, once you're hooked, coach. Yeah. you can't get out. But it's like. Way to go, gonna... South Carolina, Steve. <laughs> One division title. Way to go, buddy. <laughs> So listen, it's better than the yeah. success they've had That's since true. he left. That's true. So. He has led into the most success, right? Um, but it's just like so to me, like same thing with the AF. I never got on board. I know the week, you know, the first week they had it, the the ratings were high, the, the buzz was high. I just don't care. Like the players aren't good, so it's just like if we if we complain of watching bad football on Sundays, why are we all of a sudden now going to watch bad football in a rain? I understand like supply. There's nothing else to watch. I'd rather watch. I'm going to go watch basketball. I'll watch college basketball. <laughs> There's just to me. There's so much more others on outside of watching bad football that I don't need. You know what's funny is like because I forget you weren't around when they had this this replacement games. Like that was so hard to watch. Right. The, the I replacement mean, games in 1987 for three games. They had these backups play, and I mean, the the thing is is that they did, there were some pros that decided to play that crossed the picket line, and they were kind of hated for it. Scabs. Um, yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, the scabs were the ones who were signing, but a lot of the, the pros decided that they don't want to strike. Like, hey, you know, they, they pay me money, I'm going to come play. The guys like Danny White for the for the Dallas, and you know, a lot of the teams that really were successful, like the Redskins, wound up winning Super Bowl that year. They held out as a team, so nobody crossed the picket line, and I think that's what kept them strong. 
Um, a lot of teams didn't do that. I know Mark, Mark Gaston came back and played for the Jets. Pat Ryan came back and played for the Jets. Um, but that was, oh, my God. So, right, so watch. if you hated watching bad football in the NFL, why are you going to like it in a startup league that – Well, the NFL, you, you, you became accustomed to a specific level of talent, okay? Uh, you don't know what you're going to have with the XFL yet. You haven't seen it. So it, it could come out and you could it's see – It's not NFL talent. No, well, no, I Because no one, no one in that league is playing in the NFL. But what would you, what would you compare to? Maybe, like, would you say it's even as good as college? No, I would yeah, say right. minor league baseball. Yeah. That's right. That's it's essentially the, it's what what the XFL is trying to do is be, basically become the minor league, def, you know, de facto minor league system, but still gobble up ratings because they see the football cash cow that is, yeah, or I should say, the cash, cash cow, cow that is football, right. and trying to benefit off of it. So. I, I'm not excited. We He's got to decide. Vince McMahon's got to decide whether this is a real league or whether it's just a kind of, uh, uh, kind of a, a, a WWE. I think it's going to be more WWE. I think it has. Look how popular. Look, think about it. WWE oh, yeah, is well, yeah. a, oh, uh, yeah. basically a play, right? Yeah. It is scripted, and it is they have massive ratings. They go to the, these huge venues right. for WrestleMania and all these other events. They sell out all over the place. Right. They have events all the time that sell right. out arenas. But could you do that with football? I don't know if you could. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Vince McMahon is trying to tap into a lot of the WWE audience. Yeah. And you and picture like the you know like the, the the two teams like talking trash with each other, like uh, like you know me. Well, me and Dean's dead now, but uh, like you have Michael Cole interviewing yeah. like the uh, going to like the pregame yeah. live. Yeah. going like what are you going to say? Yeah, room, yeah exactly like, trying right. To start a fight. Yeah, exactly. It's it would be. I think honestly that might be the way to go. Like that might be the model for success. Because again, you saw the AAF. There's the only difference in the AAF and the XFL. Is who's running it and the money involved. Yeah. People, the ratings were declining week after week in the AAF. It was bad football. And that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get in the XFL. It's basically the same talent pool. It's just that how can you dress it up and promote it better than what the AAF did? Well, there is a rumor, though, that instead of overtime, they're going to have a Survivor Series. <laughs> Bring out uh, <laughs> The Undertaker and here comes John Cena. And just We're going <laughs> to wrestle it out. Just arbitrarily give them jerseys like, yeah. of the other team. Dong. You can hear, like, the, uh, the Survivor, you know, the, the, the Undertaker music. It's that. I mean, listen. Maybe that would get people. I said this. We put the poll out on Twitter about two hours ago. Seventy-five percent said they're not excited about the XFL. I think that's about right. Have you heard a lot of hype? Like this week, I have not. No, but I'm, I'm not the guy who you would ask. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not part of the Twitter crowd, or you know. I'm but not even the Twitter crowd. World. But you are. You were. But you were a guy that saw how like. That it works. Like you saw the XFL have some success early well, on, yeah, but and like you know what it could be. Success, yeah, but it was dead by the fifth week, you know, because it became a joke. If it's going to be a joke, I don't think it can be. I, I don't think people. That's not why people watch football. They don't watch football for that press professional wrestling type of spin. Well, I mean, they're going to try to also not make the game not shy away from the violence essentially like maybe that's what the yeah like but i mean th- how many people are out you know the sickos that really watch football p- to see someone get hurt i mean i know? agree yeah. and also too i'm wondering who, i mean uh, not the attendance is a huge part of the revenue but who's going to go to like the the new york guardians are the new york team they're playing at yeah. metlife stadium who the hell is going MetLife to stadium metlife stadium yeah, see that that's the thing they in the middle of february yeah. to yeah. watch yeah. bad fo- i'm not yeah. doing it see if they, they if they, they should have signed a deal with these like uh these soccer teams that have these smaller stadiums, you know, kind of these soccer-only venues. That, like that's the where they New York, New York, uh, yeah. Red Bulls, for That's example. where they should be playing, I think, because, I mean, what the hell? Well, so, like, I think the, the Houston team is playing at the Houston Cougar Stadium, so they're not playing at NRG. 
Like yeah, it, you can't play in football stadiums. That nobody's going to go. It's going to be like uh, you know, it's going to be like watching the Cleveland Indians play in the mid '80s, which uh, Jerry Girardi should say, Cleveland tonight in front of a family of four. <laughs> 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 it, it, it might be. It might as well be. Probably be a bad look on TV. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I guess we'll. See. I mean, I'm not going to watch this. Are you going to watch it at all this weekend? Dude, I don't even watch sports now. I mean, you know, it's like I watch stuff on YouTube. Maybe I'll watch the highlights or something, but it's kind of hard to watch a, a sport. There's just so much to watch. Like, I enjoy watching documentaries. I enjoy watching stuff on history. I enjoy edu- educating myself too much to sit there and watch a sporting event that I could fast forward through all the bad parts when it's over. I don't have a DVR anymore, but when I did, like, that's what I would do. DVR the game, but the Jet games, because Jet games were hard to sit through. So I would DVR the game. I'd sweat it out for, like, three hours, make sure I didn't, like, anybody who, people knew not to call me during Jet games. Like, don't, do not call Mark. Like, he is not, he's not going to be available. Do not watch a game with Mark. Like, stay on the other side of the, of the house if you do, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and then after the game would be over, I'd give it maybe an hour. And then I would put the DVR on. And then I'd fast kind of fast forward through all the, you know, if the Jets were getting beat, you know, just getting end of the game and then done. So I wouldn't have to go through all that. And then I'd feel better. But uh, and then when they would win, then I would, like, you know, watch the whole thing. You know, every so watch you would know the result before? No, no. I wouldn't know the result. No, I, I would never want to know the result. I would watch it not knowing the result. Isn't it more stressful to sit around and no, hope no. that no one spoils the no, result No, because I had other things to watch. You know, and then to me, I knew that I was going to have help, okay, because I knew that if it wasn't going to be something, look, what's the worst part about watching a, a game is the anticipation and waiting through the commercial, trying to decide, oh, my God, we're, we're, what's going to happen on the third down? Like, I didn't have to worry. Just boop, 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 boop. Jeez, <laughs> you know? all right. Some of the game now, some of the used to drive my wife crazy. I used to watch some of the plays that were like the game-deciding plays in slow motion. Because I'm trying to prepare myself as slow as I can for the eventual heartbreak. That or, sounds torturous. Uh, it, it is. But the, the, look, I'm 45. I've, I've had enough uh, years of, uh, of heartbreak with the teams I root for that um, it, it kind of needed to work that way for a couple of years. I don't do that anymore, but that's what I used to do. Uh, that to me sounds even more stressful it than is. just watching the no, game No, I don't know about time. more stressful. It was. It was less because – you didn't have to worry. If, it, if they were getting killed, just fast forward the yeah, game's over, and you're done. But you can just turn off the game. If it's 45 to 7 in the third quarter, you can just turn it off. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, fine. But, but you're still watching the game live. Like, you're still watching it happen. Like, it, it's one thing, like, if you're watching a game get out of hand early, you just you, – you, you don't get to the 45 part. Right, but like, when it's 21, you're, you're fast forwarding. But what and did you – you see the score going up and up, and then you just don't watch it. So you would – Okay. I mean, I'm just saying, it, 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 when you've been through all that, when you've been through, like, the, the Cleveland Brown game where they had a 10-point lead with four minutes left and they lost, and you've been, you know, even uh, the, the, the Pittsburgh game where the field goal kicker, oh, Doug Bryan missed a chip shot at the end of the game uh, that they would have won and played New England in the uh, AFC Championship game. You know, when you blow a 10-point lead in Denver in the second half in the 1998 Championship game, you know, it's there. It's a learned behavior, Ryan. <laughs> all right, I, I, can, it's I, said, behavior. I couldn't do it. I just rather watch it live. And if the team gets blown out, all right, fine. I, and, and and if it, hey, if the, if that's if that's you, that's m- more power to you. I I have. You know? I'm an idiot because I have the hope no. that one day this will all be worth it. I will eventually watch my teams hoist a trophy. Um, still waiting, still waiting. So 
Pope springs eternal, and that's really what a lot of us lunatic <laughs> sports fans always kind of that, – that is the, uh, the one trait that we all have that just keeps us coming back because if not, a lot of these teams, especially in New York, if you're a New York sports fan, there's not much reason to yeah. uh, have some hope if you're a Mets, Knicks, no, Jets fan. No, not. Um, so the Mets this year probably is that the team that provides the most hope, right? Well, outside of the Yankees, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, right, yeah. Outside of perennial teams that have success, yeah. Which for is the scary, underlings. Scary <laughs> thought because it's uh, – we'll see. We'll see how this year goes for sure. But just to recap the breaking news that just happened about 15 minutes ago, we just – me and Mark just discussed the Knicks uh, firing Steve Mills, and they have already hired a replacement. It will be Leon Rose of CAA, a former player agent, and now become the Knicks president of basketball operations. And the Knicks at least are going to try to model themselves after what the Lakers are doing with Rob Palenka. And what the Warriors do with Bob Myers, they both went down the uh, the agent route. The big difference there, Mark, with the Lakers and the Warriors compared to the Knicks, they had owners that were pulling in the right direction, that wanted to help, and once they hired people, let them do that job that they hired them for. The Knicks obviously have James Dolan, so that's what it's going to come down to. If James Dolan is still involved, still holding Leon's hand, still involved, still talking to him, nothing's going to happen. It's going to just be, again, we'll, where we, two years from now when we're doing the show, on Thursday morning, maybe around the same time, We'll be talking the same thing, that the Knicks are just back, firing Land Rosen back to their old Knicks ways. But we'll see how it happens. Again, it's all going to be about autonomy and how much Leon is actually allowed to do the job. But that'll do it for this edition of The Morning Boys. We appreciate you for tuning in. Thanks so much for giving us your calls, uh, participating in the uh, the XFL poll. We'll be back on Monday, so obviously enjoy a great, great sports weekend. Maybe trade, trade deadline is today. Hopefully the Knicks, if you're a Knicks fan, make some moves, and we'll kind of discuss that as well, the, uh, the parameters and kind of what happens. From there, so enjoy the rest of your weekend. The Haystacks are next. We appreciate you listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.